It's the clash of the table toppers in the Premier League this weekend. OTB Sports Radio, the only place to hear live and exclusive radio commentary of Manchester City versus Liverpool on Sunday. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Half past seven Friday morning. Welcome along to OTB AM. Adrian, Owen and Cullen. Morning, folks. Hi, lads. What's happening? Not much. Any crack? Portent of things to come. Owen, that we'll have a third leg on the table every Friday morning Are you both I excited? hope so I'm excited so. about this it's good to have someone to talk to that's not Adrian Barry on a Friday morning <laughs> I, that's wow. good well your dynamic He's, was so good already sh- I was just adding to it really it's not even a minute old and I'm getting pelters here awful stuff well good morning to both of you anyway and I'm delighted to see both of you Owen um, we're buzzing for the golf have you watched any of the golf Colm I have I got the impression from our chat earlier on that no no I, I did watch it I, I watched the TV coverage you were lambasting that, saying that it wasn't great, and then I was—I downloaded the app. Was I Wednesday night? The app is the app any good? Has anybody heard anything about the app? The app. This is a hot take. Anyway, I have it here in my notes. The app might be the greatest app I've ever used. That's not a hot take. It's as cold oh, as I ice. It's, 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 uh, I might be the first person who said it this week, no, but it's not. Are. It's You're the first <laughs> It's the master's app, right? Okay. And uh, honestly, people need to download it because I don't know how many people have it, but it's unbelievable. You can watch every shot. Wow. of the whole tournament um, so that's how I'm really watching it because I have it on the TV but I'm actually watching it on the app just for clarity for all the people who are about to send messages in you're taking the mic um, it's a, it is handy given the late uh, tea off time yesterday uh, it does feel that in previous years we've come in on a Friday morning bleary eyed after round one of the Masters having seen every stroke but uh, last night we went to bed and it's a situation. I said that we went to bed as if like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to Was bed. Was Evan Owen retired at about uh, 11 o'clock? That's to bed, thinking, you know, that, that, that Rory McIlroy, for example, was in, a, was in a good position. And, you know, uh, modern technology is such that you can watch a mini collapse from Rory McIlroy on the, on the, the Friday morning. It, like it's, it wasn't a collapse for, for anybody who hasn't caught up on it. But uh, if you want to go onto your Master's app after you've listened to OTBN this morning and look at that 14th hole, yep. you'll uh, think to yourself, well, that's quite Rory McIlroy in, in terms of recent well, history anyway. Uh, we'd listened to our experts all week and uh, like so Joe and John both made the point that McElroy's approach play is going to be the thing that would give uh, McElroy fans most cause for concern and there was definitely a couple of hiccups in the, the, the front nine but on 14 places a beautiful approach shot which rolls within I want to say 20-25 yards of, of the, the pin two putt at worst you would have thought maybe even a birdie opportunity and then he ends up three putting uh, goes one over for the hole finishes one over for the first round which isn't a, a disastrous score whatsoever but there were glimpses of Rory McIlroy yesterday where you're thinking to yourself right could this actually be the time where you know he kind of comes in with bad form and actually delivers as opposed to coming in with good form and under delivers you were thinking this could actually make a little bit of sense and then he does something like that like who knows what's going to happen today but uh, disappointment is is probably what you're feeling if you saw half of McIlroy last night and then woke up to the Masters app this morning he breaks your heart is the thing I watched that I went to bed shortly after it and I thought and he'd gone one under after uh, through 11 and I thought oh this guy he just does do not uh, engage in the hope or the hype. He just, uh, he would absolutely break your heart. But it's him leading the way, five under par. Uh, Cameron Smith, I mean, you, you mentioned the, our experts there. Um, on, you didn't mention, obviously, Chief Expert, who called Cameron Smith in his whoop slot last week, Nathan Murphy. Oh, I missed that. Sorry, Nathan. Whittled it down to uh, Cameron Smith. I 
pretty sure. Uh, four under par. Danny Willett, who we haven't heard from, obviously, since he last won this thing very much, uh, along with Neiman Scheffler and Dustin Johnson, all in three under par, and then the field after that on two under. Uh, Rory and Lowry both on uh, one over, by the way, so absolutely in uh, in touch there. And then Harrington and Power on two over par. So I think that's the sort of top line news that people will want. But like the other aspect of the entire thing is Tiger Woods flashing his way around the course in, uh, what colour would you call it? Pink. pink. Popping, yeah, popping pink. pink. Straight Nathan up pink. Nathan was calling it something else last night. Who was? Nathan was oh, calling it something else, a different colour. Answers in That's the postcard there. You yeah, had, real um, golf insight. But it was just straight up pink, wasn't it? You had Ewan Murray and Butch Harriman ooing and aahing over Tiger Woods. It was like rolling the clock back 20 years and look at it, the very basic analysis of what's going on at the minute is like that it does seem as if he's better able to play golf than he is able to walk by all accounts like just the journey that's been on over the last few years uh, it's remarkable whether he'll be able to continue that for four four days obviously um, psychologically and physically is going to be a huge battle for him right like I mean I think even even Tiger Woods Back in contention, like let's say he's a couple of shots back heading into Sunday. The psychological aspect of that, I mean, I think that he's been away from it from that end of the game for so long that it's got even in itself got to take a toll on him. But yeah, his ability to walk around the course for four days is probably going to be his biggest challenge, bizarrely. Tiger knew he was playing yesterday, a few days ago. I would say G- given his post round interview on Sky last night there was definitely a sense that this was all part of the master plan and yeah. that everything had mm-hmm. been fine tuned so that he was going to play yesterday he was probably just reverse jinxing himself for a long time and maybe just not wanting to tempt fate or get people overly confident by saying that it would be a game day decision so I think it was always a plan that he was going to play yesterday I was a little bit concerned when I saw him on the putting green not going to lie when he was walking away from that to, to go to the first he, he looked like he, he was moving like Forrest Gump to be honest I was like this guy's in a, in a spot of bother here this is either going to be a disaster or he's going to pull something amazing out and then after he saves power in the first hole walks away from the green he's moving smoothly then and uh, all that sort of robotic nature to his gait has completely changed and maybe that's just the adrenaline maybe it's just a sense of okay the crowd are here for me uh, I've, I've got to kind of like play through this that, that changed things and he played a brilliant round I mean You've got, um, there was a, a great tweet um, after deleting the tweeter. Apologies, I think a rap report from golf.com potentially tweeted the, the list of people that uh, Tiger Woods finished ahead of after round one. You've got Matsuyama, you've got Victor Hovland, Marikawa, Rory McIlroy, Max Homa, Adam Scott, Patrick Reed, John Ram, Jordan Spieth, Brooks Kepke, Xander Schauffele. Bryson DeChambeau, Justin Thomas, the list of people that Tiger finished ahead of yesterday. So it was just it, like it, it, it really was, and, and like I, I think when you listen to his his post round interview, in particular, it really was this this incredible cap on such a a tough fourteen months for Tiger Woods. And I think we can sneer away at the uh, the, the glorification of Tiger and how much this week has been about Tiger. But there's a reason why people have been glorifying Tiger this week. Yeah. This is the story. This is an incredible story. What we saw yesterday. Is he making the cut? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Do, do you know what? But he's he's already done enough. Yeah, you know, like no matter what happens from here on out, he will make the cut. Like, you know, he he's proven to himself now he can get around. Was he, somebody was saying that he might have played the, the butch, and I think one of the other commentators were having a bit of an over and back about how much how many eighteen whole rounds he'd actually played, and they could only settle on the fact that it would have been maximum two over the last, as you say, fourteen months. That's. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah th- like, like that. yesterday was his first, was his third, eighteen-hole golf in a year and a half. Mm. That's incredible. Th- th- there was like a, it was in the front nine anyway, maybe about four or five holes in, where there was just like a sloppy moment from Tiger around the green, and and one of the commentators was 
wondering if that was rustiness and Butch Harmon was like no it's not rustiness he's got a short game area in his back garden mm. and I, like just little nuggets like that throughout the day and Tiger again post round it does kind of paint a picture that this is part of the plan that yes it is absolute magic what we saw yesterday but maybe as, as as this week goes on we'll become less and less surprised by him being able to to be midway through the leaderboard like he's in a tie for 10th at the moment I think that if he finished there on Sunday it would be an incredible story but if you're talking about people who are enjoying themselves this week Butch Harmon is the man who's enjoying himself more than anything else like every single time the camera pans to Tiger Woods in action it was like look at the patrons just look at the patrons like <laughs> that is yeah. the man who has been a caged animal throughout Covid who was just like Butch. look at people yeah Butch <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look Look at all those people. He was also together. a pains to repeat every time Tiger came on the screen, which was a lot. And to be fair, look at, you know, the cameras would break, the, the director would break away from Tiger for 30 seconds and they'd make a big deal about the fact that we leave him there now, we leave him in peace and they'd literally be back again a minute later going, oh, it's Tiger Woods again and you're lapping it up as the audience. But Butch couldn't help himself but say, listen, Tiger wouldn't be here if he didn't think he was going to win it. And then he would struggle for something else to say and repeat the same line again two minutes yeah. later. He but doesn't I, move the needle. He is the, the needle. The, the context, Tiger Woods, the, the like winning... It just the entire thing is incredible. Like the, his relationship, particularly like the fact that it's the Masters. It's one of the most romantic. It'll be one of the most romantic stories of the year um, involving Tiger Woods. That uh, always interesting territory to go to. Um, five different swings to win the Masters five different times. He uh, estimates say that he broke twenty of the twenty six bones in his right leg, which he could have lost. And here he is, like shooting a really competitive score at one of the biggest um, sports yeah. events of the year. He's the last man to retain it as well, I think. Is he really? Yeah, she has been too. But she's like the new, the latest Ti- Tiger Woods documentary, the first scene's already confirmed, that opening tee, when he was about to tee off mm. and his announcement. It's incredible. That was only 14 months ago. Remembered vividly. What have we all do? Like, to, we thought, like at one stage when the news broke and the hours afterwards, you know, you kind of fearing the worst. And then a little over a year later, he's playing the Masters. Like... I'm not the, mass, the biggest Tiger Woods fan, but it could be one of the greatest sporting moments ever just to see him in the first tee. Would it be up there with Andy Murray winning a game at... Uh, <laughs> was winning a match. Winning a match, yeah, sorry. You can all win a game, but winning a match, I mean, no, that, I'm was not, remarkable. I'm not one, that was remarkable. That's the most underrated sporting moment. I'm not one for, her, for hyperbole, but that could be the greatest sporting moment of all time. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that is, like, that's pinned as the tweet, um, like, as the greatest. On, on that theme, You right, should like, move on from that. Yeah, I'm think, not moving on at all. I don't think you should move on from that. Butch was saying that when we saw the ceremonial starters, and we'll come back to that in a minute, but was saying, oh, there's Jack listen he's the greatest the game has ever known and like that debate has been ongoing I did feel that yesterday is the debate not like Tiger Woods has transcended the sport so much is that not what it comes down to like people who know nothing too much Mm -hmm. about golf people will be talking about Tiger Woods in 200 years time they will because he transcended the game they just warned about Jack Nicholas. Oh, but what's with the random ja- Jack Nicholas slander here? Nobody oh, here is thinking. Nobody, nobody, nobody here is saying to Jack Nicholas. I'm relating to Jack Nicholas. Every Friday, I'm relating to same with you every week. I'm relating back to Butch's uh, Butch's comments. But uh, what did Butch say? Sorry, he said that Jack was the greatest. Oh, sorry. In my book, Jack was the greatest. Okay, so and like, look at he's of a generation to say that, and maybe I'm of a generation to say it's got to be Tiger now. Yeah, it, or like I, I think that's it's. I think most people would agree with you. There was you, a you moment where an interesting one. the camera was up close in Tiger, and I was thinking to myself, "Is there anyone like in the in the first world, like any country with, with any access to that technology? Is there anyone who doesn't recognize this man? Like, is he the most recognizable man 
Yeah, and I think that has pe- is people. Is that too much of a question? That snobs, would, snobs would say that shouldn't be a factor Walking, when it comes to deciding yeah. who's the greatest player of all time. But I actually do think that transcending your sport to the great to the degree that he has surely is a factor. I think it's a bit yeah, like a, it's like like he's he has inspired kids to pick up a, a golf stick in a way that you know. Yeah, he certainly. Like, I mean, you even look at someone like uh, Joaquin Neiman playing with him yesterday. Like, he's probably in dreamlands, despite being mm-hmm. uh, extremely rich, extremely talented, one of the highest-rated golfers in the world. Uh, like, there, there is just a, a, a magic to it. Although Podrick Harrington wasn't really necessarily having uh, the, the the magic yesterday. Did you see his oh, response yeah, to some yeah. of the questions? Ah, well, to be fair, he was been he tried out to two under. It was great to see. It was like stage. the football press like conference the where, where, where the reporter has their, you know, they're like a dog with a bone and they want to talk about a certain topic and the person they're talking to has no interest. Is yeah. that it? It was like, oh, ask me some more Tiger questions. Yeah. Like there, there were obviously those those couple of moments for Harrington, as you as you mentioned, uh, I call him the, the fact that he got to two under, the, uh-huh. the, the monster put uh, to keep him one under on the sixth was uh, was a sensational moment. So even just just the brief glimpse of seeing Harrington at the top of the leaderboard for a moment was pretty cool. Obviously, everybody was keeping a close eye on Shane Lowry. Got a lot more TV time yesterday than I think in previous mm-hmm. uh, uh, Masters Thursdays iterations. Uh, obviously, he had that that effort at the, at the par three that almost... Did it go into the cup or did it just hit the flag? And then, obviously, he had his chip in Eagle on 13th. Um, so a couple of, couple of good moments for them, and then Shannon's power two over is the, the other story from yeah. the Irish over. Like I, I mean, sixteen pars, two bogeys, not a bad, uh, not a bad first effort <coughs> for your first round at a major, let alone at Augusta. Mm. Um, lots of comments coming in about the colour of that uh, Tiger was wearing. Um, it was Augusta Azalea. I don't know the Pantone number for it. It's outside of my pay grade, says uh, David on YouTube. Good morning, to you, David. And Isult, uh, good morning to you, Isult, saying that it's Cerise Pink. Um, so there you go um, there's all the stuff to be spoken about we'll come back to we did mention the cer- ceremonial group we'll come back to that maybe a little bit later on but I am buzzing this week The I know it's very late in the week to be getting excited about Wayne Rooney but that's sort of where I'm at He's, I'm delighted to have him properly back in my life lads I mean I know that at least one of you will be absolutely on board with the idea of this but um, he because he's been bubbling away I was sorry is he, is he 18 months now as the Derby manager in a way that like because they're not really I know obviously there's loads of Irish interest so you're kind of keeping a, a half interest in them but they're not you're not watching them as much and you're not seeing him as much but it sort of all kicked off for me with the Prime documentary a couple of weeks ago and then obviously leading into uh, Monday Night Football I actually couldn't wait on I'm sure no more than yourself for the Palace Arsenal game to be over on Monday and we could just get stuck into even not as match analysis so much I was kind of interested to see would it be any good but I was really keen just to see the Monday Night Football with, uh, with Rain- Wayne Rooney on it and They did an hour before the game that just wasn't enough for you Well you you understand my predicament with kids bedtime oh, okay, and, and all that sort of stuff So, but I, I the short story is I just just can't really get enough of him is the thing and I can't I hope he's like he is I was trying to come up with five reasons why Wayne Rooney uh, being fully back in my life is a great thing and why I'm buzzing for it. I could really only come up with four um, <laughs> Jason Knight was probably uh, no particular order but definitely one of them in the sense that like obviously when he's not splitting him up in training um, the two of them are going to work together for years aren't they like he's the uh, Cranchar to uh, Rooney's red nap He's the Paddy Kenny to Rooney's Neil Warnock. Um, different club, maybe. I'm not sure. Oh, well, the, 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 well yeah. Rooney, Rooney. Well, my point is, Rooney's going to be a manager for the next thirty yeah, years, yeah, yeah. and he's going to keep bringing Jason Knight with yeah. him. And you just hope that, um, you know, that it's not a that, that the clubs that Rooney goes to. That's the big question mark. What what club type of club he's going to go to? But I do think that, uh, like Jason Knight, is going to be one of the most important players for Ireland for the next 12, 15 years, and twelve years. 
hopefully that um, you know his relationship with Rooney can bring out the best of him. So that's number one reason. Sorry, it's not number one reason. It's one of the reasons that I'm hyped. Um, his football seems all right. Yeah. Not one for hyperbole. His football seems all right. Like it's more, a lot more than all right. N- nice you, football. Hyperbolic on it. I think that the difficulty, the difficult position we're in at the minute is that it's Derby, and you know the quality of player that he has uh, is grand, and they seem defensively fairly sound. Um, maybe there's a bit of tweaking to be done in terms of his attacking football. Interesting enough for a, a team coach by Wayne Rooney, but it seems good. I think that the nuances that we would see with, if he moved on to a bigger club. Um, with better players I was going to say Man United there for a minute but um, I'm not sure they fully fit that category at the minute although if you believe some of the stories that are doing the rounds this morning they're about to fill themselves uh, chock full of the brightest and best of English football coming through but how does he do at a club where they have better quality of players that would be an entirely different um, ball game and another reason why I'm stoked for him Uh, I touched on it there a minute ago but he's going to be in our lives for the next 35-40 years in a really public way and I bring it on I'm really excited for more interactions with Wayne Rooney like he even he made the point about uh, Ronaldo in Monday Night Football and then he's getting asked about that in the press conference and he's got a response to that and now Ronaldo will have to respond it's brilliant it's just like it's going to be box office both in terms of wherever he ends up managerially and whatever he does on the on the uh, punditry start punditry. you forget what a star this guy like was one of the most recognisable faces in world sport for about 10 years you forget that looking at him now, don't you? How do you mean? Like, he was he was the hottest of hot shit for a decade. And here he is, like, been troped out at a team that are about to get relegated from the championship by no doing of his own. But also, like somebody who... To have a tit for that with Ronaldo, do you he, know what I mean? But he's been so unbelievably loyal to that club and had, uh, had an opportunity to get out while this ship was sinking. And he was like, no... I'm I am I'm going down with this thing. I sorry. I the point on that is I think the, the you were talking about it on Tuesday, but his turning down the opportunity to interview for yeah. Everton was such a, a recommendation of Wayne Rooney, and also what an insight into how much he believes in himself. Every most other managers will go. I'm, how many more opportunities am I going to get to get that gig? And obviously, you know, I really believe that I can go in and turn that thing around. And it's his boyhood club. It's his club. I think he was offended that he was asked to interview, so he didn't interview. But I don't think yeah, that's the reason he, like, I think ultimately he, he turned it down because, I, sorry, I hope he turned it down because he knew that it was a sinking stone. Maybe. Do you know what I find mad in this whole thing is where this love of Rooney comes from? For You've never mentioned him I, I think years. that he's my favourite footballer. I think it's the footballer. Amazon documentary no, that he's, he's, turns he, around. He's my favourite footballer of all time. <laughs> I'm not one for hyperbole. <laughs> but you've never <laughs> mentioned it once bef- before the Amazon Prime. Never. never I would never have thought I wouldn't have even said if, if it was uh, who wants to be in there and uh, which footballer does Adrian Barry love or is the best ever and Rooney was one of the four. I would be like straight away, but he's, Rooney's gone. Like, does, no, I can't, why? I can't, why would you say uh, that? I can't connect Rooney was, with you as a person. No, neither can I. Why? I imagine if you were on a night Are you out... talking about his off-field stuff? If you, no, if you are on a night out together, two of you, you'd be like, you'd be hoping there's a third person there. No okay, chance. You wouldn't be no, able to, like, no, I no. can't. I'm thinking I, do it myself. For, like. for the three reasons it's I'm supposed to be like when Rooney's back in my life. What, it's like you've emotive here. Happened. I don't understand Not at all. where this no. comes from. Uh, the, the last part, the last leg of the table here is his uh, honesty. Like, he didn't shy away from, on Monday Night Football, the awkward stuff. It would have been far easier for him in every regard to have said, oh, listen, you know, you 
you're not sure when Ronaldo comes back to a club like that you're just not sure what happens but actually he went for it and said it was a mistake and obviously drew the ire of the man and also when he was been asked about the uh, one suit that he had and he was saying listen Covid hasn't been kind to anybody and I've finished playing and I've put on a bit of weight and that's the only suit I've left that fits me like that's look at I'm just I'm buzzing for that and also you mentioned the prime documentary the the how uh, in terms of the honesty of that like you know you see these documentaries produced by people's relatives and all the rest of it and they're sort of sheened up and they are what they are but that had himself and Colleen talking sitting around the kitchen table talking about all of that stuff in a really honest raw way and I just thought it was um, like it's a brutal uh, context to his life but it was um, brutal in the honesty of the conversation and you have to admire him for it yeah, I like it. I like it. I mean, it, uh, this is. I, 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 it's, I, I'm kind of a column. I didn't really see this it coming. Just seems odd. Have like a four-part piece of my love letter to Wayne Rooney coming from Adrian. I'll, I'll check back in in a year and see what you think of him. I just think this is a phase we're going through that you love him. No, I, 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 I don't. I don't. Play in, it. in all of that chat, there, did you lose the fact that I said he's my favorite footballer of all time? Um, and I'm I including your your pal in that. Well, I'm no, but I'm telling you, that's, there's no. I don't. I'm not looking for your feedback. It's not like a. What? What does? Let's decide what Adrian thinks. No, I just don't think he is. I do like the way. Yeah, I do like the kind of weight he's put on as a manager. I do like the fact that he's not. Uh, Has he's he not gone? To keep he, himself in shape. Well, he yeah, looks like he's gone totally like, cold turkey, doesn't he? He's not playing a bit of five aside. He does have the look like of a kind of a Sunday league manager. The way like the way he kind of carries himself, but like he's he's also he's done much better than I thought he would as management. I didn't think he'd have any interest in it. But like the stuff he's done with Derby is brilliant. Would they be? They'd be comfortably safe, wouldn't they? If it wasn't for all the deductions. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 to keep them motivated and to get something out of Revel Marzin yeah. is another massive coup for them. I'm not really buying it. I'm not buying my opinion. Well, thank you, Colin, for your feedback and my uh, my views. That's wrong in there, but definitely yeah. something we're going to come back to in a little bit. It is uh, ten to eight. You're watching OTPM brought to you each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless uh, finish to your day. And uh, stay tuned because we have so much good stuff coming between now and ten this morning. Ronan Agara is on the line, standing by to chat to us live from France. We'll get to him in a couple of moments. Uh, the sports pages, there's some interesting stuff on the back pages this morning. Uh, that's coming your way at ten past eight. Masters update. JD, we'll have more chat on that. And as I said, we'll come back to that ceremonial group just after uh, half past eight this morning it's also a live Masters crappy quiz which I'm delighted to say I've been excused from it's the great and the good of the golf uh, brains in the company uh, coming your way at a quarter to nine Harriet Pryor of the Anfield Rap will look forward to Liverpool against City at uh, ten past nine this morning Owen's been in conversation with uh, possibly the greatest Irish women's footballer of all time Denise Sullivan at twenty past nine and uh, John Giles you haven't that? Uh, she's no. uh, top two anyway. Uh, John Giles at uh, half past nine. So that uh, she is top two. That's uh, all what, uh, coming your way between now and 10 feet this morning. And loads of comments coming into us. But we'll come back to all of that in just a few moments. So I'm Ronan Agara. Good morning to you. Hi, Adrian. How are you? Not too bad. Wayne Rooney, the greatest footballer of all time. No, no, no. Great player. Great player, but not the greatest of all time. Well, two, I have two Cork people in my ear now, and that's probably the subcontext here, is it? I know, but sure. It's the, obviously uh, it's a debate that no one is going to win, but the greatest footballer of all time is it's, it's just it's too hard to to compare generations, you know. But I think you're looking at Ronaldo, Messi, Pele. It's they're three yeah. to jump out for me anyway. Zidane. Yeah. 
my favourite footballer of all time. I've misrepresented my own my own. Person. Most improved footballer is uh, Benzema. I think I'm only appreciating how good he is now. Jesus, game against um, Chelsea. Sensational. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realise. I obviously in France, he's a big, big, big personality. Big big story but I I, uh, I was kind of wondering what the fuss was about then I kind of <laughs> in the peeing rain in, St- in Stamford Bridge I kind of realised uh, well that's how, that's what a striker does isn't it wow is he, is he loved in France yeah yeah um I said I loved, I don't know. I kind of was wondering, like, how is this guy in the same conversation for Ballon d'Or? As much as I could understand around the table there the other day, and then you could see it uh, that night, why he is in the discussion, you know? I think, um, obviously, what he did to uh, Paris Saint-Germain, first of all, obviously, is... Uh, was notable and then to back it up against Chelsea was uh, and he's been doing it for a long long time I believe if if you get into the stats and the data yeah class ruthless in a way that when Chelsea got their opportunities they weren't uh, they weren't in the same category at all I have to say in terms of stuff that we thought we were talking to you about off the bat this morning that wasn't high on the agenda where do you want to jump in? Oh, I enjoy stock look at football Gaelic football or I mean more in the life the world of Ronan Agar the week that's been <laughs> Where that's do you start? Standard week. I was talking to Tommy off air, and a uh, busy week. And no, it's just probably that's perception versus reality. It's very like that. It's just uh, you know that's uh, a banished door on the sideline. Top fourteen management contested four decisions, and uh, I get a two week ban for you know which I need to get better at. I, I didn't obviously read the small print. You're not allowed to contest any decision, so you have to be. Kind of robotic behaviour, um, but I find that difficult at times. But uh, something I have to get better. And obviously, you can understand that I can't say anything really on the Uria situation because I have a hearing next Wednesday, so uh, I don't want to jeopardise anything there. Yeah, I, and and without getting into the nuts and bolts of that, is that um, you just like the the and um, feel free to f- figure your way around this. Obviously, in terms of the, with that in mind, you're just on the sideline there. It's the context of a late turnover and your loss in the game. Basically, is that that what's going on in the sideline there at the end? Those pictures that we've seen. Uh, Mostly, on, I, know, I, I know it's early in the morning, Nathan, <laughs> but you can set it a little bit better than that. A little turnover. <laughs> we were. We were under a sustained attack for three minutes, potentially, if not more. And, uh, you know, Sean, uh, dogged, uh, incredible doggedness to, uh, uh, and I suppose pride in keeping our line intact from, from, from a try, which would have been a big turning point. So uh, I celebrated that uh, in my way, uh, which was kind of a bit of a fist pump. But, uh, you know, I mean, pretty standard, really, at celebration in this term. But, um that's as far as it got, really, you know. Does what happened on the sideline get uh, permeate its way in, in, into the playing group? And I, and I mean that in sort of a, a positive sense. Does that like get them G'd up a little bit for what is going to be a trilogy uh, against this team over the next little while? The familiarity and the breeding of contempt? Yeah, yes and no. And I think it's depending on what angle you want to try and, I suppose, create an opportunity or. Um, I mean a potential talking point, but I think this the the series playing pros um are able to see past that. Well you've got to also remember too, we have every potential culture in the world and the fact that 
I mean, you've people from all over the the world representing Stade Rochelle against Bordeaux. So some people might think it's a great thing. Other people have no interest in the coach being on the sidelines. So, you mean, it's very, very, I suppose, individual taste. Um, From my point of view, it just uh, felt right in the last number of weeks uh, just to probably go down there to, I suppose, maybe to potentially show unity while... On any other day, you can see much more in the stand. And there's plenty of logic to be in the stand all the time. Yeah, there because like obviously in a rugby sense, it's it's maybe it's more of a French thing that you do get coaches down there, but obviously they tend not to be. Uh, you you mentioned at one point that it was important for your players <clears throat> to hear your voice. Is that like a sense that you would like more leadership on the pitch that you're currently not seeing that you're working on, or where where is that coming from? No, no, there would always be like that. It just. Um, you know, I think you have to probably a little bit of context too in the fact that we've played a lot of rugby in COVID situations where you had empty, empty stadia. So your message uh, was easily passed. Nowadays, it's drowned out. Mm-hmm. But your capacity, I suppose, to transfer uh, information um, from the sideline to, we'll say, your winger or your, or your second centre can happen uh, nearly uh, instinctively, so that is that, that is a good, I suppose, uh, opportunity for getting information. But as you say, uh, you know, what I mean, if you're coming in every few minutes with information, it means that your prep has missed something. Um, but uh, just away games in France, uh, there's very little margins between them. Well, it, with us especially, I think we've kind of uh, had five bonus points defeats this season which means you lose by less than five so at any stage in those games the victory was probably there and uh, we didn't get over the line but the last three weeks has been probably a a change in uh, mindset a change in tempo and a change in in confidence levels I believe so tomorrow um, we start a a back-to-back with Bordeaux the top 14 is over for me it was never a trilogy it was four points available that we needed against Bordeaux. That's done. That's parked. It's no uh, um, Champions Cup campaign. Is there any uh, pre-match protocol between coaches typically at these games where you have to encounter each other or will you just be giving each other a... Uh... A bit of fromage and a vin rouge. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-match. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I'm on board with this, Ronan. I, can't, uh, I won't lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everything is possible. You're damn right. There could be reception for three hours for for the coaches before. And no, no, there isn't. Uh, if you're if you're or group or out of the group, I, I came across a few of the Bordeaux players the last day. A few of the foreigners that were uh, not involved or injured or not involved in the game, and it was um, you could see the kind of uh, the red wine kind of lips on them. It was very, very funny, you know, because it's the best wine in the world, and they're. They obviously can't do anything, so they're inside in the uh, lodges, and they're obviously allowed to have a glass or two. But it was, it was just. Uh, I said, Geez, it's those little things that make the difference when you're looking for a different experience. You know, taking them out of South Africa or Australia or New Zealand or um, or anywhere around the world, really. 
That's definitely a culture I, I could I could jump right in on. I have to say, Kamir, <laughs> uh, just one last one on the on the game itself. And you were I was reading your um, uh, column in the Examiner this morning about the IU West uh, kick at the end and your rule that you the only rule that you were saying that you've broken over the last while about not giving feedback to kickers that seemed odd to me in some ways in the sense that like there's probably nobody be- better to tap Ahi West on the shoulder and say you know in terms of the experience that you have the sessions you've done the Dave Allreds and other coaches I'm sure that you've been exposed to and say here listen have you thought about this? Yeah but there's the the question that I come straight back at you is uh, Adrian when he has thought about it what happens next? Do you get me? Mm. As in he's so, thinking about you more than he is about himself? There's a lot in that, and I experienced that with a, a greater player as, as Richie Mwanga. It was very, uh, very challenging relationship at the start because I probably saw it one way, he saw it a different way, but I can only recommend, and it's up to the player to take on board. And that's what I firmly believe because kicking coaches, coaches are crutches, but essentially it comes down to I want to do this, but I think that has to be a mental shift first rather than a physical shift. So uh, I have a great relationship with Harry West. Uh, but it took the, to this stage and the kind of the relationship to, to, to get to this point where I suppose he um, opened up his trust to me and I wanted to just, I suppose, remedy a little bit in his approach. And it wasn't a complete uh, um, what's reprogramming. Far from it. It was just very, very pleasing, I suppose, knowing inside uh, the suffering that he has had to endure as a kicker, his capacity to look in the mirror and want to get better and then seeing the fruition of that, that made me very, very happy. And why you get involved in coaching because you, um, you know, I enjoy a fellow who in a club game who kisses his fist as a celebration of his work because it becomes, you know, you're uh, an individual sport and then you're playing a team sport. That's the life of a kicker. You know, you look at, I try and compare it to a lot of people I work with where you see the boys last night at the Masters, every time they're on the tee, you know, they play a drive and they position it. It's the exact same for, for a kicker, you know, if you were if you're a kicker on a team and you have eight shots at goal, eight minutes of the eighty, every eyes are on you. That's a lot in the game, mm. a lot in the game. And I think uh, it's probably that appreciation of uh, well, what am I bringing to this team, or what can I bring to this team? Because no one else, you know, like they don't need that skill set but the, all his other 14 mates on the team are very dependent on, on his on, on his I suppose work yeah uh, that is definitely an interesting insight into it have you been surprised by the reaction to the England stuff I didn't see any reaction genuinely I did a seven minute interview on Sunday and uh, we had uh, my mother-in-law uh, arrived so we had s- Sunday dinner and then um Everything has been very normal. I didn't get a text. I didn't get, uh, I didn't see anything. 
Um, well, there's been headlines galore here and particularly across the water and the articles and all the big papers over there. But yeah, I, I spoke to Tony Lean, obviously, in the Examiner mm. uh, about, about it because uh, he'd be well tuned in and he said there was, there was a reaction. And I said, well, like what people don't see is the questions that that's asked, you know, I suppose. So I got asked the question and I, I gave my honest answer to the question. It had been it had been bigger news if you had said, actually, no, I'm not interested in the England job. Um, yeah, but that's not true, you know. I suppose, like, I think I was listening to you in the obviously in the football section, but um, you know, your playing days as opposed to your coaching days are unrelated. There's nothing, there's nothing of similarity. It's like a complete different career. Mm. And I know we're talking the same sport, but it has zero to do with it. Like what I did as a player has no, of no relevance to what I'm trying to do now or what I'm hoping to achieve now or the enjoyment they get now as a player it's just pulls apart it's it's incomparable Adrian I, I can't stress that enough that how how things change too when you get out and how you see things and how your I suppose your mindset changes and how uh, you you view I suppose different potential opportunities yeah and sorry do you mean that in the sense of you played against England so much and therefore that's irrelevant now Um. No, I mean it in, in everything and the fact that as a player, when you're playing for Munster and your probably values are, you know, hard work and we've got to, you know what I mean, playing an English team, we've got to, we've got to uh, get stuck into these boys and they'll have a soft underbelly if we keep going at them, stuff like that. But then you kind of go into coaching, but coaching is... It's so so different to that. You're kind of like an individual entity, and you're you're I suppose hovering above stuff, and you're looking at uh, well, if I was put myself into in there with those players or with that group, would, the, would I would I make a difference? That they're all the kind of things that that happen in my head anyway. Playing England as a player um, for Ireland obviously was hugely hugely important, and you never underestimate that. But on it was a hypothetical question mm. that I suppose if it was anywhere warm, I would have some thinking to do. I haven't put myself in that process where I've had to think. Yeah, like I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised if there were if if there was anybody who had like that that, that sort of uh, kind of loyal mentality or, or kind of overly loyal mentality. Like I mean, you, you look at um, say even the, the RFU at the moment, and Conor O'Shea being involved there. I don't think anybody like raised their eyebrows because there was an Irishman involved in in the English setup. I think it would probably be a little bit different for me, to be fair. I, okay. I think so. You know, I think obviously from maybe my background and, and maybe what I did in the green jersey, and I think that's a very um, positive for me. Uh, but as I say, um, playing to coaching, it's it's mm. two different careers. It's it's not aligned for me. When you speak there about getting so much joy out of seeing the impact you're having on West's career, for example, and some of the other players in your team, does that make you kind of inclined to think that, geez, they, they, I'd lo- love to stay in a club game just that little bit longer because you can have that day-to-day impact as opposed to, say, on the test level? Yeah, I will be in the club game. I will be in the club game. I'd be here for 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 the medium term. That's for certain. I think. Well, sorry, you can never say for certain, but that's... The plan. Gosh, I can watch... I've signed to do and once you sign I'm all school in that regard um, I think that's very important I don't like the fact that things can change with with a phone call I think when you sign you consider well I may have to sit sit and suffer for 12 months 24 months 36 months but when you sign up to something that for me means um, 
that means uh, commitment. I like that word. I like getting committed to something. So for me, um, I'm all in. Clive Woodward was talking about that club versus country thing during the week. Is it a step up? He was suggesting it was a step up to be an international coach. Is it in your book? I think uh, in a lot of cases, yes. In in other situations, you know, when you're uh, coaching, I suppose, for example, on a daily basis, Antonio, Skelton, Aldred, Corbarlo, uh, Batia, Dante, Lades, Duna. Not bad. I have. No, I'm just trying to make the point that, you know I mean, where you'd like to get my club or any club is to I have uh, more availability with with the players you'd like to have them performing as well in a a yellow or black jersey as well as as they are in the blue jersey you know I think that's what really excites me the capacity to to gel a team of different uh, nationalities different um, um, cultures different philosophies gel them together and, and boys being able to express themselves on a pitch you've got to remember it, it can become complicated other times it become very very simple if the, if my message is clear the, the context that we are sort of dancing around in terms of the England job is that for any Irish person to be involved with England is this philosophical I'm sure you were involved in club dressing rooms maybe particularly over the years where the 800 years comes up and the uh, that that uh, um relationship that that uneasy relationship between England and Ireland but are you saying that that none of that is a barrier or what sorry what's the what is your view on that bit because that's the bit that like when he was on during the week and he was saying you just don't go there like that aspect of that's the England context it's not like we're talking about France or we're talking about um, New Zealand that's the context of this gig that's Quinny trying to ring me sorry (laughs) he's trying to clarify his comments now um no, I, I, I like I'm looking at it from a pure sporting point of view, Adrian. I know, like you got to understand, like there's something inside you if you're a competitor that if you can kind of um, arm yourself with decent ammunition to have a crack off winning a World Cup or winning winning uh, a Six Nations, and you were the 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 coach of that, that that really really stimulates me, mm. whatever nation it is. I think people, I think probably from a distance, I suppose, fail to understand or appreciate how I may be wired. And I think that's, we're in a professional game where the opportunities are, when you look at, you mean the Rugby World Cup, it's not like a soccer World Cup in the fact that there's probably eight or ten teams who have the the capacity to um to, to, to win the World Cup so if you were to get a, a, a crack at it with a team that has genuine um, I suppose uh, ambition to, to win it you'd be you'd be a fool not to consider it mm. uh, Big game for you tomorrow it's not far off the, the you mentioned about Park in the first game um, is there's no sense of powder dry in a way that there's been for the Irish teams it's full bore sort of week in week out is, does that mean you can or can't tweak things finally before we let you off you can or can't um, tweak things from last weekend oh no you have to you have to tweak that's most definite but I suppose um, you know one of the things that jumps out at me this week is because how competitive the top 14 is and how challenging it is um, 
it feels like a knockout game nearly every week, Adrian. It's hard for you to probably preset that while when you were a player with Monster, you could just shift, I suppose, the the or you could sense the difference in the shift on a Monday morning, uh, six, seven days before your big cup match. Uh, that hasn't happened this week because last week's four points were very, very important. But it's in France, there's a huge focus on the short term. The short term happens every five, seven days. You have a new challenge. So we're aware of that. We're excited about going to Bordeaux tomorrow. It's a big game. We have, I'd like to think, unfinished business in, in this competition. We gave it a brilliant rattle last year. The boys have uh, got their juices flowing from that. And um, uh, we want to roll up our sleeves tomorrow. Good stuff. We'll go well. Yeah, cheers, lads. Good Thanks for joining Ronan the line there from La Rochelle. Ahead of a pretty big weekend from and uh, interesting stuff across the board, as always, from Ronan. Um, maybe primarily the uh, cheese and wine on. That's a culture I think we could introduce around here. He's obviously well aware of your inclination for both of those foodstuffs. Um, it's I, I just think that we could introduce like a pre-AM, if we had like a seven o'clock, you know, the pre-show meeting that we have. Yeah. Like seven o'clock sort of glass of wine. Well, I was uh, like, just to pull the curtain back here, I literally said this to Adrian in the office last week, we should do wine and cheese on a Friday morning. And Adrian was like a little bit hesitant about it, as if he's got like work to do after the show or something like that. <laughs> I genuinely think we should just do that as a slot. Today will be perfect, Connacht against Leinster, but, you know, we've had, uh, we pussyfooted around the idea and now we've got no cheese and no wine in studio and we can't properly mark this great occasion. Um, right, we have uh, <laughs> so much to come between now and 10 o'clock. A live uh, Masters crappy quiz on where we have JD against Nathan against Joe wow Golf Weekly versus Virtual Insanity was this uh, we had a 2021 version had we 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 did and John Duggan won it alright the Golf Geeks will be um, the Golf Weekly Geeks then will be um, I'm sure they'll have been studiously doing their research over the last 24 hours I'm sure they will I'm sure they will scrolling through the Masters Wikipedia um, we are also going to talk to Harry Pryor a little bit later on. It's obviously a monster weekend of football. Uh, City against Liverpool on Sunday uh, afternoon. So we'll get her thoughts on that. And uh, also she was at the Benfica game during the, game, uh, during the week. So uh, plenty uh, to discuss there and uh, lots more besides as well. But it is a quarter past eight. Uh, OTB AM and uh, delighted to have you along with us wherever it is you're at this morning. Do keep your comments coming into us. We're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, Pack show, as I said, still to come. Denise O'Sullivan as well. Owen's been in conversation uh, with the uh, Republic of Ireland International and that will be coming your way very shortly Colin Buig back in studio very uh, soon as well and uh, we're going to also hear from Brian O'Driscoll now uh, the latest episode of the uh, Six Nations show on OTB OTB AM uh, 18 minutes past eight. what are you laughing about? I was just saying to Owen that I feel like Arsenal never play I just never see them play they never have games When's the, when's the, what was Arsenal's last game? Monday. Uh, they were on Monday Night Football. Oh yeah, Palace. <laughs> oh, before that. Before that was uh, Aston Villa. The 1-0 win against Aston Villa. Saka. So b- before the international break. That is they like are forgettable, to be fair. Uh, you saw in the ads there, Brandon Driscoll in studio. He was in for a Thursday Six Nations show with Ashley O'Reilly and Fiona Hayes. And it's all brought to you by Vodafone, who are proudly supporting the Irish women's rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. And uh, lots of comments coming into us on YouTube. And uh, lots of compliments and other things coming in across the uh, various platforms as well. And lots more still to come. So I uh, will come to that in just a little bit. Colm is back in the studio. Morning to you, Colm. Hi again, lads. Um, there with Ronan. You're, uh, you're always... I mean, anybody from Cork been on is a good good mm-hmm. start, but... A lot of Cork today. Yeah. Cork, Cork AM. We've got three, three of Cork greatest. Or Adrian AM. I didn't fully get that. As the uh, live comments on YouTube. I thought it was very good. 
Um, the uh, conduct Leinster game tonight came up as a bit of a hot topic in our pre-show meeting about sort of where exactly they stood in the pantheon of great games between the two. Um, it says here, is Connacht versus Leinster the new Leinster versus Munster? Um, well, it's, it's certainly the Adrian Barry is. Derby. All right, look, what, what do you mean? like? Well, like, I mean, you're from Connacht, but you support I'm Leinster. I'm not from Connacht. What part of that do you... How long have we been sat in the studio beside each other? Three, four years? I'm not from Connacht. But not you're close to Connacht, right? I, what is it about Connacht that distance? repulses you so much? Nothing. I actually love Connacht. If if there's a, there's an area of Connacht that if somebody said it was the only place you could you pick one place to live for the rest of your days, that would be I would be choosing. I'm not. I love Connacht. I'm just not from there. How close are you to Connacht? Um, minutes away. Drive in about three or four minutes. Oh, this yeah. is really Derby. This is like this is, oh, this is this is Roma Lazio for you. Um, and then is is it is this a bigger game than the like there's no actual right answer to this or maybe no answer at all no, just make your, is statement, it, is make it, your statement is it a bigger <laughs> don't ask a question make your statement is it a bigger game no because uh, the question is is it a bigger game than the Pro 14 no, final no, between no, them no no no, and, no no and like look there's a no 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 go on this is like go completely on, we should just we should just stop having pre-show meetings because you're just like completely you're coming out with the best statements there and then just <laughs> no no that's not true uh, at, this at is the seven, nonsense at, that I come at, up at five, here on a regular basis at 5 past 7 this morning Adrian said this is the biggest Connacht Leinster game ever Agree slash disagree. That's how you should have presented that point there, and and then we could say no, you're wrong because there's a pro twelve final between them in well, 2016 where it kind of had a much yeah, better chance like of winning. Yeah, but the thing is that goes up as a as a headline, and it's not actually really the full detail of what I'm saying because, like, look, if Connacht were to go ahead and beat Leinster over two legs, you would say that is in the Heineken Cup. That's a bigger achievement than beating them in a one-off cup final. That's it a different should- question, though. Well, I I did say and the word in the, on the meeting, and you scoffed at me that there it's a there is a semantics aspect to this entire conversation. The big, and there is, like I, I do think though that, that when you kind of go beyond this, of course, it goes to one legs, and it's, you would have to say that maybe things almost get easier if if Connors got through this, yeah. maybe for uh, one round at least. That it it does completely pave the way for them to look back at it and say this was an absolutely incredible, incredible result that they do it over over two legs. But uh, I think it'll only be in hindsight whether or not you'd be able to say it's bigger than the, the twenty sixteen final. If, if I can if I can clarify my own thoughts, as uh, you know, with Colm earlier on trying to convince me that you know he wasn't having something else, but um, it would be a bigger achievement for Connacht to beat Leinster over the two legs of a, cha- of a Champions Cup game than it would be to beat them in a one-off Pro 14 final. And I would stand over that. Would you not be proud if they had done that? If they do it? Proud of what? Connacht winning. <laughs> Wouldn't it be brilliant for you and your community? Um, look at... Uh, it's win-win for you. It should be a happy day. Is it, is it from both places. Is, is, it the new, is it the new Leinster versus Munster is the other question here. And I don't oh, no. really think it is. I just think there's just a long, deep-rooted dislike of each other between Leinster and Munster in a way that maybe maybe kind of gets there in like twenty years' time if this rivalry continues, but it ain't there yet. What what like yeah it, like what does it need to do? Like you need a, you need a Connacht to win in something like this. Yeah. Oh, you need you need, but you need Connacht to go ahead and like dominate Irish rugby for like ten years. Well, what's interesting is that this has been completely written off. Like this, like there's been very little written and spoken about this game where it's like breaking down how Connacht actually managed to, to get one over Leinster like it, it does seem that and I, th- I think we saw it last week that Leinster are clearly by distance a dominant team in Ireland we all know that and the second leg situation does diminish the opportunity for Connacht it, it does seem that way but it does feel as if this 
would be a hell of a Goliath, or a hell of a David versus Goliath story if they manage to, to land a knockout blow here over the, the next couple of weeks because uh, the, the odds are very much stacked against them. But if they do it, not only is it, in your opinion, then the greatest achievement in the recent history of Connacht, but it would also then, I think you would also have to say, what is the biggest rivalry in, our, in Irish rugby? And I mean that in the competitive sense. Yeah. Of course, if they beat Leinster over two legs, you have to say that they're better than Munster because Munster did not be did not hold a candle to them yeah. over one leg at home last week. But the likelihood of that isn't isn't overly high. Yeah, and like a rivalry isn't just about what's happening on the pitch. Obviously, it's about the subcontext. The yeah. fans been whatever. So, uh, I don't know what we're saying at the end of all that. It's uh, happening tonight, and <laughs> Leinster are going to win it after this. That's. That's what's that's what's going to happen. Um, Medvedev, Colum, that's why you're here. I'll tell you your other nonsense. Is he going to play at Wimbledon or not? Well, he might. Uh, he might not be playing because Wimbledon have the right to uh, disqualify him from playing if he doesn't. Uh, if he isn't seen to officially denounce Vladimir Putin. Uh, it's the same with any Belarusian player. So Arnia Sabalenka, who's number five in the world on the women's side, uh, Wimbledon have a special dispensation, unlike any other tournament. Really, they can basically make up their own rules so other tournaments wouldn't be able to disqualify Medvedev because he's Russian or because he hasn't denounced Putin but Wimbledon are threatening to do so so you're talking about world number two and a few weeks ago he was world number one he's the reigning US Open champion and I think the fear on the uh, the Wimbledon side of things is that even a Medvedev victory or Sabalenka victory would seem to would be seen as a promotion for Russia, and they don't want that. So it's very controversial because I think you said it yourself, Agent, a few weeks ago on uh, on Friday's AM when Medvedev posted it on social media saying, you know, basically it's all about peace and it's all about kids in the future and. He hates war and he denounces everything violent. And I think you said yourself that that was a brave move in of itself. Uh, but apparently it's not enough and he has to officially say that he's against Putin and what's happening there. So it, it's pretty unfair. Uh, obviously, other players don't have to do that. And it comes down as well. I mean, the other slightly fairer side, you could say, is that they don't want any sort of money at all going to anything related to Russia. Uh, so, look, nothing's confirmed yet but it could well happen that the second best player in the world on the men's side and the fifth best player in the world on the women's side don't play Wimbledon simply because they're from Russia and they haven't officially said in writing that they denounced Putin. It's, it's, uh, it's a hard one because it's easy to sit here and go, yeah, you should just do that. That's what a no-brainer. It's, it's an outrage that he doesn't do that thing. And like the money side of it that we're talking about, like that uh, he needs to declare if he's getting any money from the Russian state or from Putin. I think that's totally fair. Like, And if that is happening and it continues to happen, then boot him out. No issue with that at all. The reason that I had mentioned the comments before was that like it isn't like you or I sitting here and going, um, you know, Putin is a um, warmongering murderer. It's not the same for him because, like, there are the consequences of his family at home and mm-hmm. his own relationship with the country. And, like, it's also a weird dynamic to have to force somebody to say... You would like him to be able to come out and say that of his own volition, right, and just remove that as, um, as a factor. But, like, to have to say that you're going to have to force somebody to say something before they um, are officially allowed to take part in the tournament is... Uh, like a weird kind of a precedent mm. that I don't really recall ever. Like we live in weird times, but I don't really ever recall somebody being demanded that they denounce something like that before they uh, before they're allowed to play. It's weird. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think you could have repercussions for Medvedev and Sabalenka far beyond Wimbledon too. So it's I think it's unjustified to ask these 
individuals outside of tenants to, to do put, that. He literally put his neck in the block and just like for two weeks that are there. And just for two weeks to like, play tennis. And I mean, it's the biggest tournament in the world. It's, I mean, it's. I mean, this is kind of incidental, but tennis-wise, you know, it's far from Medvedev's favorite surface. He he probably wouldn't win it anyway. He might get the semi-final maybe, but how, besides how, all that, like it's just the fact to give up. You know, potentially your safety for a fortnight is not a great deal. How does it all play out? I don't. I think he'll play. I don't think they'll make him do it. Or or Sabalenka, mm. o- unless they individually and collectively withdraw. But I think I think as we stand here, we're a few months away. I think he'll play. Um, MJ Maloney's wondering on YouTube why we haven't mentioned Payet's goal last night. Goal of the season. I came, in, came back in here and was like the GC Dimitri Payet's goal. Shout out to Phil Egan for like check it out. And I thought it might have been like a bit Paul Scholes Bradford esque, but it's better. It takes a bounce before he hits it. Class. And it arrows into the top. It's so beautiful the way it arrows in. It's like a perfect, beautiful line right up to the top corner. And he's such an old man as well, which we hadn't realised. Like we were saying that he's in and yes, around 30. Um, yeah. Dimitri Payet is older than Lionel Messi, which uh, is uh, something that I hadn't quite realised. And uh, I guess uh, there's probably a, a league on sort of connection there. Some fellas still doing it in the French league, some fellas aren't. But like, it's just one of those that just perfectly rises all the way into the top of the net. It's a perfect. Yeah. I would have said 29 for Payet. He's 35. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. What a beautiful. Um, yeah. But yeah, like while while everybody was watching the the golf last night, Dimitri Payet's doing Dimitri Payet things. Mm. What is it about mid thirties uh, creative players getting better and better? Benzema, which Benzema's header did you prefer? Well, I thought Mendy was. I thought Mendy could have been further back in his line for the first one. Was it the first one where he sort of looped it over? Yeah. Yeah, but it looks but like he was a mile out. Yeah, I did the first no? one. The first Benzema. one, yeah, the keeper. Benzema yeah the first one is the best goal he scored on the night and the fact that like it does look like Mendy could have done a lot better but then the behind the goal angle and slow motion looks like Mendy is at full stretch flailing he, I'm not he, sure no, that's he, what the reality he is, but, he is at full stretch yeah. flailing but I'm, if he was like two yards back he would have been a full stretch and saved the ball yeah but it doesn't preclude the fact that Benzema absolutely nailed it with his mm. head it was he did he, 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 it could be true that he hit that as yeah, well yeah, as he could have done yeah. and the keeper also balled up I yeah. say stadium wise it was the better of the two but TV wise the second goal was so aesthetically pleasing because we had the perfect angle as a TV viewer Yeah, and Mendy knew it was going in but still had to go and try and get it yeah. beautiful and any Modric involvement right now as well is just uh, it adds a couple of marks to every goal and for all of that Chelsea should have still I mean like Lukaku what's going on like they should still be that tie should still be totally alive by the way it's been on my mind since I said it is Tiger Woods the most recognisable person in the world it's been on my mind since I made this <laughs> point earlier on I've been thinking about my own point I think it could be David Beckham it's the most famous person in the world or sports the most recognisable person in the world you think David Beckham is the most recognisable oh, sports wise uh, I don't think so I don't think David Beckham's on, on do you think Tiger Woods is more recognisable well Tiger Woods first of all is still playing the sport David Beckham doesn't have that level of visibility week in, week out. He's still extremely yeah, famous and once upon a time. Football is a more pervasive Of course game. it is, but he's not playing it anymore. <clears throat> like Cristiano Ronaldo is far more recognisable than David Beckham right now. I've got absolutely no... No, I don't think so. But I would be surprised if Cristiano Ronaldo was not more famous than... Ronaldo is the most famous footballer in the world and he's your uh, battle with Tiger Woods rather than David Beckham. I think speaking of transcending the sport, that's Beckham. Cristiano Ronaldo has pretty much transcended the sport. He's the most followed individual on Instagram, is he not? Uh, to me, he suggests that he is. Uh, I think the most more recognisable. Um, like, uh, <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I guess we'll. Uh, very, very hard to, to come up with any sort of evidence to, to disagree with that. I tried to find some. Like, um, really is, though. 
I've got to save this conversation. Um, there's a bit of chat in the papers this morning about uh, Manchester United Club, which we want to get you on before we uh, let you back out into the production box there. Uh, James Ducker in the Irish Independent. United targeting Kane and Rice with incoming Ten Hag uh, set for transfer war chest. Um, and there's also chat about Calvin Phillips this morning as well. Like... They, obviously, um, Rice is a bit of a no-brainer. Uh, Harry Kane, yeah. as a Man United fan. All day long. Walked into the studio this morning and Adrian said, is, is Kane not, uh, I don't want to say it outright, but is he not a bit of a busted flush? I said, did you see him against Newcastle? It's not even Kane's goal scoring, it's his passing ability. Like He has this kind of daisy-cut pass that he does from right to left, usually to Son. He was the runner. Mm. And uh, he just has so much to his game. Like He loves dropping deep. He loves being a bit of a playmaker. But he's also an absolutely lethal finisher. You can, you can tell with certain players that they're absolutely elite by the way they pass the ball. Even if it's five yards. It's just the way the crispness of all their passing and like having it, you know, placing it in front of the player or to the player's feet depending on the circumstance. And Kane is like that. Like He's one of the most improved players throughout his career because when he started he was you know kind of a typical academy player you thought he might be a bit of a Europa League League Cup type striker and eventually will leave Spurs but he just gets better each season and he had a low point under Nuno but like if he has a manager that he believes in like Conte he's unbelievable I would take him at United over pretty much any striker because he still has a good two or three years left of peak football in him. Yeah, Declan Rice is the best signing, though, of those, isn't he? Like, in terms of his age, his mm. role in the team. Yeah, Declan Rice, I said it a few a few months ago, and I got a bit of uh, grief for it, but I'd stand by it. I think Declan Rice is he's the best player in his position in the Premier League. Um, I think it seems it's probably less controversial now, because I think he has had a brilliant season, as have West Ham. Yeah, it's a, that's a no-brainer. That would be, like, a transformational signing for United you know, you could argue really United never really replaced Roy Keane. There probably isn't the Roy Keane type player in football anymore because there really can't be. Uh, Michael Carrick was, you know, the most successful direct replacement, but Rice is probably the closest thing to Roy Keane. I think United desperately needs something like that. I don't know if Ten Hag fancies him as much as United fans generally do, though, you know. But imagine those two, yeah, it'd be amazing. If I had to take one, <coughs> I'd take uh, Rice all day. Are you pumped for Ten Hag? No, I want the Mauricio Pochettino. I've said it, I remember it came on AM the day after United got top of the league in uh, January 2021 uh, against Burnley, when they beat Burnley. And I still thought, oh, I just don't think Solskjaer is right for the job long term. And I was like, go get Pacino. I think he was available at the time. And they didn't. And yeah, I love him. I, I think people forget, I mean, I've been hearing it all week that we've been talking about various people on the show saying, you know, he's not doing great at PSG. Like, who, who's going to do great at PSG? Even if you win the Champions League with PSG, is it really that much of an achievement considering the players they have? And then if you win the French League, it doesn't really matter. So I would discount PSG. And in the latter part of the Spurs days, they needed to replenish the squad. They didn't, he didn't have the money for it. He ran out of steam. But think about what he did for the first three or four years of his time with Spurs. He was absolutely brilliant. Because Spurs were just an up-and-down team before that. And he made them consistently fantastic. Um, and look at the demise of Deli Ali, even, you know, since Pochettino mm. kind of eventually went out the door at Spurs. <clears throat> Deli's kind of followed him in the trajectory way further down, actually. So I would love him at United. Ten Hag, it's a fine compromise for me, but not as happy as I, I would have been without Patch. Um, will Wayne Rooney manage United one day? I th- well, 
I think Solskjaer would definitely come back to manage him. Whether Rooney will do it. Oh, you reckon? Yeah, I like, think an like a hitting, yeah, firefighting like figure. Dan Givens I'd say he'll Paul do it Trafford. two or three times. Rooney, I would say no. I don't think he will. I don't think he will manage United. Oof. Somewhat controversial, is it? Mm. Like it's, it's, it's just going to be very, so. very interesting path now over the next little while. Like I mean, even the sort of the, where Manchester United see themselves in the pecking order of English football when they go and try and sign some of these players. Like obviously, mm. Roy Keane would have said it on Sky Sports a couple of years ago: just go and get Kane. Mm. Uh, that that sort of sense mm. that Manchester United can go and sign whoever. I'm not sure if that's necessarily true. Someone like Declan Rice, obviously, as you mentioned there, uh, much more attainable given the club he plays for. I'd actually still hold out hope for Pochettino after Ten Hag. Stuck That's a bit delusional, though, isn't it? I well, mean, I mean, Jesus, like, look at the last 10 years. United managers can last anything from eight months to you're, um, three years. You're just fishing in the barrel of, like, managers getting booted out of the Champions League. Oh, Manag- yeah, but, like, the greatest thing about football is, like, you just have to wait a few weeks before someone else gets sacked. That's right, yeah. Do you know? Yeah, yeah. He'll be round again. He'll be back. He'll be back. He'll be back. Uh, 8.35, uh, Friday morning, you're watching RTB AM. Plenty still to come live. Masters, uh, crappy quiz on the way. A little bit Harry Pryor's going to, uh, Harriet Pryor's going to look ahead to City against Liverpool this weekend. Uh, and we have lots more as well still to come. So stay with us uh, here on OTB AM. We're going to be talking day one of the Masters with John Duggan. Next is a Masters crappy quiz, as I mentioned. Uh, and we'll be bringing you Thursday Night Football with John Giles from half past nine this morning. Here he is on the state of Everton. But uh, there's only so much you can do, Nathan. You know, like it it does take time uh, when you come into any new club, especially when they're in the position that Everton are in, because they're not there by accident. And there's some lads there that shouldn't be there. Uh, He's got to sort out, well, who are they? Who are the good lads? Uh, Does he have time to get new players in? Um, And John, is is that something that a more experienced manager would learn and be able to do quicker than Frank Lampard? No, I don't think so, Nathan. I mean, if you look at the managers that have there before Frank, they're all experienced managers. Benitez mm. was extremely experienced, but he couldn't do he couldn't do anything with them. Uh, whoever was there, there was a couple of managers there. But this is this hasn't happened overnight at Everton. This has been going on for a while, Nathan. And whoever was the the uh, bringing the talent in, it hasn't been good, and you wouldn't know what the spirit is like in the dressing room until you go into it. And that's what Frank is finding out. Now, he's going to be up against it because of the time element between now and the end of the season before he gets a start on it and puts his own stamp on it. But it's very, very difficult. And I, I think, obviously, an experienced manager uh, would have a better chance. But they have had experienced managers there. And Frank, has, he's, not, he's not a Benitez, but he's had, a, he's had a, you know, he was at Derby, did, mm. did a good job there. He, he, he got uh, Chelsea going last year. So I think he has had enough experience to know when he comes into a dressing room uh, what to do. But it's very difficult when you get a group of players who are not doing what they should be doing uh, to change them, change them so dramatically. Uh, I mean, what normally happens, in, well, what can happen in a situation, you get a manager in uh, before him who's been doing a bad job with good players. Then then you go in and, okay, in the Franks case, you take over that situation with the good players, but it's because of the manager uh, that they haven't been doing well. I'm not sure that's the case at Everton. I mean, because they've had quite a few managers and they haven't really done well. And, and a really, really bad season this season. Full chat with uh, John Giles coming your way at about uh, just about an hour's time and uh, lots more from him in conversation with Nathan last night. John Duggan is back to defend his crappy quiz crown. 
Morning to you, John. Adrian and Owen, good morning. You're not going to do that just yet, but how are you feeling? Confident? About the crappy... Well, I'm taking on the, the might of Golf Weekly yeah. here, so well, I don't been, know. You've, done, you've got in the memory bank, you've got last year... So I have to just... Like, it's one of those managers going into a match... Uh, you just have to completely downplay expectations and and hope for the best. And might you know if I get a few lucky questions, maybe you know I might come out the right side. My money's on you, Jedi, all day long. Virtual insanity is behind you. Tell us. Uh, let's talk about the Masters. Obviously, we'll get to Tiger in a second. But uh, just for people who are uh, joining us this morning, yeah. I didn't see too much of it last night. Uh, bring us up to speed with the top of the leaderboard and I suppose how the four Irish lads are doing. Yeah, Sung Jae Im, uh, who was second there a couple of years ago, uh, the Korean who plays a lot of golf, uh, hits his irons very well, young lad in his early 20s, 5 under par, 67 to lead the field. Uh, kind of a tricky day with the wind yesterday, but it was dry, and it will be dry now for the next three days, so the course will dry out, it'll be firm and fast um, tomorrow and today, and I think Sunday it'll be more benign conditions. So he's a one-shot lead over Cameron Smith, the player's champion from Australia, who started and finished his round with the double bogey, so he's 4 under par, load of birdies in the middle of it. Then Danny Willett, former Masters champion of England, is 3 under, Wacky Neiman of Chile, 3 under, Scotty Scheffler, the world number one, is three under, as is Dustin Johnson, the 2020 champion. So a lot of elite uh, talent there on three under par. And then Jason Kokrak, Corey Connors from Lestole in Canada, and Patrick Cantlay are all two under par. So that's the, the top of the leaderboard. Only 18 players under par. Woods is one of them. Uh, the Irish lads disappointing you'd have to say like Seamus Parry you can't really say it was too disappointing he never played Augusta before he didn't make a birdie at all he only had two bogeys in a 74 two over par Patrick Harrington it's harder 50 years of age on a long day he made made a few mistakes made a brilliant par save on six but two over par as well Shane Larry I was watching him the, the, the website and the app is absolutely fantastic I don't think I've ever seen it before where you can actually follow a player and it updates it automatically it refreshes it automatically it's incredible so you're, you're typing away I was typing away doing something else last night and then I heard just heard the atmosphere oh we, the shot is loaded into the system and then you see the shots you can actually follow your own golfer around for the whole thing and Shane Larry was going great guns he got back to one under par on the 15th with the wedge in his hand put it in the drink Double bogey. I thought that was sloppy enough, disappointing. He was disappointed with his own performance. And I think he could have scored better yesterday, Shane Larry, than he did one over par. And Rory McIlroy, the whole, the big word out of this, and I think Joe Malloy summed the whole thing up yesterday on OTBAM about Rory's wedge play and the uncertainty around that. And, and I, I think he just encapsulated the challenges that McIlroy's having at the moment. But the word I have with McElroy at the moment is uncertainty. McElroy is not certain. When he was earlier in his career, he was certain. Like even at, at the PGA in, in Kew Island in 2012, in Van when he when he faced Dan Mickelson and Fowler to win a second major in a row, he was certain. He had the swagger. The swagger wasn't there yesterday. And like he, he sunk a put on the 11th, the hardest hole in the golf course, one of them anyway, for about 30 feet to get to one under par. An easy par 5 and 13, hits it in the pine straw, can only make a par. Then on 14, he three puts, 16 can't get up and down for a par. And it just, it, it, you see the mistakes creeping in. Like once again, he was smashing the driver 300 yards plus down the centre of the fairway. But the uncertainty with the iron in hand, with the uncertainty with the wedges, the frustration around that, like he can always backdoor into a good performance. But is he going to win the Masters? Not on the basis of what I saw yesterday. Mm. Tiger, it, it's the impossible. I have no question to ask you, Jenny, because you can't answer it. It's impossible to say whether this guy can sustain it obviously over the course of the four days that's the big difficulty his ability to walk around the course not to mind golf is probably his biggest challenge absolutely right Adrian and I think anybody who's there uh, my sister is over there at the moment uh, just follow Tiger Woods today because how many times do we see generational talents one of my biggest regrets in sport is not going to 
Barcelona and Madrid 10 years ago to watch Messi and all those great players in, in the Spanish league when it was at its peak, when it was at its zeitgeist. And I think that who's the next Woods in golf? Who's the next Messi in football? You're seeing Tiger Woods. You're seeing greatness. Now, it might not be a major winning champion this week, but you're still seeing Tiger Woods hit the shot like he did on six yesterday. Like, he just paid to go in to see that shot alone. Mm. And he, physically, maybe Nicky Lauda might have been more resilient, but I can't think of many more resilient athletes and sports people in the history of the whole of sport than Tiger Woods, that he's put himself through all those back surgeries, those knee surgeries, and now um, nearly having his leg amputated to go around and walk probably the hilliest golf course in the world and still rely on muscle memory and the ability of his golf game to shoot 71 and be in the top 10. It is staggering stuff um, just before we wrap it are you, have you shifted your view on where you were from what you've seen on day one in, in terms, terms of, of in terms of, the, of a winner well I'm happy with the, my headline tip my, the rest of my picks were atrocious um, but I'm happy with the headline which is Patrick Hantley two under par threw over the ball beautifully yesterday made a couple of silly mistakes but I'm happy with him on two under par to get into the top nine which is the objective Okay, very good. Right, we're going to talk. Uh, thanks, JD. We're going to talk uh, City Liverpool in just a little bit. We're going to have plenty more conversation about other stuff. I don't think we're quite ready for the crappy quiz just yet. Is that the word I'm getting out? No, no. Hang on. Hang about. We have a couple of minutes before we get a live crap. Questions are in the away. oven. Owen is still frantically typing out the uh, final few questions here is what's going on. Um, the. Um, of the Irish lads, JD, you mentioned yeah. obviously about the change of conditions. Like we we spoke earlier on about, I went to bed just after Rory uh, birdied eleven, and you know there was a point a few years ago I would have gone, oh, I'm so excited to you know wake up in the morning and see what this guy's done, but uh, it's the hope that kills you with him. It is, and I just think he's think it's almost. I think it's a mental thing with Rory at the moment, and I just don't feel there's that cockiness the, the, the strut the walk isn't there and yet after that put in 11 you're thinking okay here we go now he'll maybe birdie or even eagle 13 didn't happen and you, you can just almost feel the deflation you mm. can see it in his body language and he just needs to get back to that that cocksure nature that he, he like you <laughs> he, he can even sh- even showed it twice last year when he won on tour so it's capable like he could do it you don't want him doing it on Sunday you don't want him shooting 65 on Sunday to get back to 3 under par it's going to be difficult the next two days the ground the ground is a horse racing term the course is going to dry out those putts are going to be treacherous there going to be players missing 3 footers 4 footers 5 footers and actually the early starters today have an advantage because it's going to blow later on and tomorrow is going to be real blustery as well and then Sunday it's meant to be calm and that's when you'll have probably the more accessible pins and the shootout and it'll be so fascinating to see how it goes yeah, it's it's from what you've seen of the Irish lads. It, despite what we've just said, is it Rory that you expect? I mean, Lowry. I don't know. There was a lot made of throwing the club on the yeah. ground yesterday, which I thought was more. I'm not quite in jest, but almost like a comedy sort of a ah, god damn it when it's, he when yeah. he hits when he hits the hole that time. It's Rory and Larry. I think Seamus Power is getting to know Augusta, and I think Padraig Harrington has a battle to do to make the cut. I think it's Rory getting rounds in the sixties. He needs rounds in the sixties. I think for Shane Larry. Um, just more consistency with Shane Larry, like throwing in an odd number, like a seven on a, on a par five, you know, even if you're getting out with a five. And it's just, I think Shane Larry almost needs two rounds of 70 with no bogeys um, because you can't be shooting 71 with five birdies and four bogeys. So I'm more confident of all of them. I'm more confident about Rory, but Rory needs a bit more belief in himself, I think. That uh, belief when you're, when you're Lowry and you, you hit like one of the greatest shots of your life and it's like... It should be either in the hole or an inch away and you walk up and it's, what, 20, 30 feet away. Absolute killer. Like, in terms of your own belief, at that point you're like, 
it's an anti-momentum, isn't it? Well, that's all about process. That's where you, these people work with, like the likes of Bob Rotella and that, that you have to put everything out of your mind that you've just done that everything is about the next shot. Mm. That's actually the way Patrick Cantlay thinks, is everything is about this. the next shot is the only thing that matters. And I think Woods has got an ability, for, like Woods bogeyed eight yesterday, made a, made a, a like a sloppy six uh, on 18, was in trouble, still had the ability to just, what's the next thing? Yeah. And I think that is the key to win a major championships, is to block out what's happened 30 seconds ago and then go and execute again. JD, you're the people's champion and it's time for you to put your uh, crown... Back on the line. Time for the crappy quiz. Chris Martin. Oh, you're kidding me. September. Kyle Lafferty. Are no! you joking me? Is that right? I know. Is that right? Uh, anybody else? Leash, was it? Like, that is one of the most stupid questions. Darius Vassell? Seriously, you all need to just stay quiet. This is getting really annoying doing this quiz. What is going on here? <laughs> 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 Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome along to the shoutiest segment on Irish Radio. It's the scintillating, it's the stupefying, it's the splendido crappy quiz. Every Friday we pit three of team off the ball up against each other in our no-holds-barred quiz of sporting factoids at the end of the week. But this is no ordinary Friday. This is a tradition unlike any other. This is, of course, the crappy quiz master special. Allow me to introduce your 8.48 tea time. From Dublin slash Clare, Ireland, we have the 2021 Crappy Quiz Masters Special Champion, gunning for back-to-back titles and a promotion for virtual insanity to the status of getting put behind a paywall. He's not angry at all that his sister is in Augusta instead of him. It's Don John Duggan. Thanks so much, Owen, and I have replenished the green jacket. You have it back in the closet there in the off the ball towers, and maybe I'll be able to wear it again today, but I'll give it my best shot, and if uh, the might of Golf Weekly beat me, so be it. From Mayo, Ireland, we have the dominant weekly trivia force, a golf nut who spends every wedding anniversary explaining to his wife that the course at Augusta is actually a lot hillier in reality than it looks on screen. It's Nathan Nate Dog Murphy. Thanks for the reminder, old. <laughs> is it today? <laughs> tomorrow. Okay. How are you going to right? work that? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. A nice romantic Saturday evening in front of the TV. What more could you want? What more could you want indeed? Uh, our final contestant is from Kildare, Ireland. We have the man who commands the galleries better than anyone else. The man who says that size doesn't matter, but never lets his fans forget about one measurement, 13 inches. That's right. 13 inches is precisely how far his ball landed from the hole in the closest to the pink contest of the 2019 Irish Open, his greatest career achievement to date. It's Joe, no show like a Joe Show Malloy. Own Sheen, happy to be here, excited, pumped. Tiger's back. On your day off, getting up at half past yeah. eight in the morning, we appreciate your presence. As ever. I mean, go only on. for you, only for you, only for you. Thank you so much. As ever, the format is a classic crappy quiz with a series of questions on the Masters. Then it's on to the slip and slide of trivia, which is the rapid fire round, also on the Masters. You can podcast a crappy quiz on otbsports.com or the OTB Sports app. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to click the thumbs up, even if you contribute nothing but misery to your day. Any questions, we'd love to have them in if you could send them in via postcard to Crappy Quiz Quizmaster, Off the Ball Towers, Marconi House, Diggs Lane, Dublin 2. Round 1 is the boring Masters questions round, never multiple choice. John, who was the first Irishman to play at Augusta when he got the invite for the 1967 renewal? Was it Joe Carr? Correct. John Duggan's off the mark. Nathan, who was the first golfer 
to win the Masters via a sudden death playoff? Sudden death playoff. Uh, Angel Cabrera? No. Anyone? Uh, Fuzzy Zeller. Fuzzy Zeller is correct. You don't get that point, though, John. When Gene Zarazin and the boys were winning with playoffs, did they play again on the Monday? Played full 18 hole, sometimes a 36 hole uh, playoff, apparently in in Legend. Or maybe that just went to 36 because they didn't settle it after 18. But Fuzzy Zeller. Bring that back. Bring that back tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Joe, your first question. Who is the only golfer to finish as a runner-up in a Masters, won by Tiger Woods, and a Masters, won by Jack Nicklaus? Who finished runner-up in 86? He's thinking deeply. Oh my God. You can run through the options in your head. Jeez. That's hard to believe. Oh man, I don't know. Give, um, give us a stab at it there. No, I don't know. I'd be having a crazy stab. Tom Watson. No, correct first name. Tom Kite. Kite. Wow. Tom Kite. Uh, that is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Friend of the show, of course. Tom Kite was on the show in 2017. Yeah, I think we spent too much of that interview asking him about the Simpsons cameo <laughs> in hindsight. It's good to have him on nonetheless. The most important part of his career. Uh, <laughs> round two is the 1997 Masters round, 25 years since Tiger's first win at Augusta. John, question two for you. These are all multiple choice. Who led the 97 Masters after the first round? A, John Houston, B, Paul Stankowski, or C, Nick Price? I think it was John Houston. Correct. John Duggan is two from two. Nathan, Oof. Tiger Woods became the youngest golfer to ever win the Masters in 1997. Whose record of being the youngest did he break? Was it A, Jack Nicklaus, B, Byron Nelson, or C, Seve Ballesteros? Seve Ballesteros. Correct. Nathan Murphy's off the mark. And Joe, the 97 Masters was seemingly still a contest after two rounds, with Tiger holding a mere three-stroke lead over the field at the halfway point. Who was in second place after Friday's play? Was it A, Paul Azinger, B, Fred Couples, or C, Colin Montgomery? C. Correct. Three from three, the 97 Masters. All of your specialist subjects. So it is John Duggan, two points, Nathan, one, Joe, one. Round three is the past the parcel of doom round. In this round, all you got to do is give me a name that is on a list of names I have and the parcel of doom passes on to the next contestant who then also has to give me a name. We will keep moving through the list until one of you gives me an incorrect answer or fails to give me an answer and you will then be eliminated. When two players are eliminated, the remaining person, the last man standing, gets the point and we'll do it three times. John, you go first on this first list. Can you name a hole at Augusta National? Holly. Holly is correct. Then it goes to Nathan. Azalea. Azalea. Correct. Joe. Juniper. Juniper is correct. Oh, you can keep going. John, sorry, sorry, back to you. Golden Bell. Golden Bell is correct. Um... Magnolia. Magnolia is correct. Hole number 11. Now I'm going to be... Kaleidoscope. 
That is uh, not a hole. So it goes back to uh, John. Pink Dogwood. Pink Dogwood, hole number 14. Are you kidding me? Correct. Nathan. Oh, this is, um... oh Pink Dogwood, I thought I had. But there's another... Um... There's another Dogwood. I can't decide whether it's yellow or white. Let's feel it. Them. White dogwood. Correct. Well done. Hole oh, 17. Done. John. Oh, is he struggling? Nadira? Can't accept it. It's not correct. It's Nadina. Okay. Nandina, in fact. Nandina. Because I was gone after that. That's hole number 12. To go through in, in numerical order, the ones that you missed, number... Whole, uh, um, sorry, it's not in, or, in alphabetical order. Uh, Camellia is number 10. Carolina Cherry is hole number 9. Chinese Fir, 14. Firethorn is 15. Flowering Crab Apple is 4. Flowering Peach is the 3rd. Golden Bell is 12. Juniper and Holly you got. Magnolia is hole number 5. Uh, Nandina, as I mentioned. Pampas is hole number 7. Pink Dogwood, White Dogwood. Redbud is hole number 16. Tea Olive and Yellow Jasmine are the remaining holes. So... We move on to uh, the next I, one. Uh, I'll hold my hands up. I, on um, whatever day we've said we're doing this quiz, I was doing my master stuff and I saw the names. I was like, I bet he's going to ask what the names of the holes are. And after spending about five minutes looking at them, I realized there's no way of remembering. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got the point there, Nathan. They're incredibly uh, un- uncatchy, aren't they? Yeah. Considering how often you hear them, they're, they all just blend mm. into like one very average name. Nathan, you can kick us off on this one. Can you name a golfer that has won the Masters multiple times? Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is correct. It goes to Joe next. Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholas is correct. Mm. Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer. Back to you, Nathan. Bubba Watson. Bubba Watson, yeah. Gary Player. Gary Player. Nick Faldo. Nick Faldo, yeah. Um, Sevi. Sevi is correct. Langer. Langer, yeah. Sam Sneed. Sam Sneed is correct, yeah. Olathebal. Olathebal, yeah. Sarazen. Gene Sarazen did not win the Masters multiple times. Oh my god. Joe's out. It goes back to John. Jimmy Demarit. Jimmy Demarit, yeah. The first person to win multiple Masters. First one to win three Masters, sorry. Uh, Nathan. Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson is correct, sorry. I just wasn't said, was he? Took me a second. Sorry, there. I thought for a second I, he was. Took me a second. Yeah, I'm Phil writing Mickelson's them all down, correct. you see. Correct, yeah. John. Ben Crenshaw. Ben Crenshaw, yeah. You're firing him off quickly. We have one, two, Three, four golfers left. Nathan. Oof. This is tense. They're both tied at two apiece. Who's going to take the lead here? Tom Watson. Tom Watson has been said. 
Tom Watson's been said. Has he? Yeah, Tom Watson's been said. Mm-hmm. Who said it, Joe? Said no, it? he hasn't. No, I, I didn't. I mean, in, in hindsight, it's ridiculous. I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm, 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 one of us here is writing down all the names. Sorry, you said Bubba Watson. Sorry, you, it was said. I accidentally ticked off um, Tom Watson. Sorry, Nathan. You're still alive. John. Byron Nelson. Correct. Byron Nelson is there. We've got two left. If you complete the list, I'll give you both a point. There's two left. Nathan. Ben Hogan. Ben Hogan is correct. There is one person left. So do I lose if I don't get this right? You lose if you don't get this right. Or Nathan gets the point. One more person. This is really impressive. We've never got to the end of a past parcel of doom. It's always exploded in brutal fashion. Horton Smith. Correct. Horton Smith. (laughs) You completed the list. I'll give you both a point for that. That was very impressive, lads. Okay, so those are the golfers who've won the Masters multiple times. Joe, you can kick us off on this one. Can you name a player who has finished second in any Masters from 2010 onwards? And this, of course, includes ties. Uh, Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth is correct. 2016 and 2014. Is it me? Uh, sorry, it is uh, John, yes. Uh, Will Zalatoris. Will Zalatoris last year, yeah. Uh, Cam Smith. Cameron Smith is correct, yeah. Two years ago. What year is this from 2010? 2010 onwards. Yeah, including 2010, yeah. Um, Louis Westhaven. I think it's me. Sorry, it's, it's me. it is Joe next, yeah. Oof. You can just I take the one again. Say Louis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I have it written down. I have it written down. Louis Eustace, yeah. 2012. John, you'll have to come up so, with what, Sorry, what year is it from? The start of 2010. Uh, Adam Scott. Adam Scott, yeah, 2011. Uh, Brooks Kepka. Brooks Kepka is correct, 2019, he finished second. Oh, I missed one now that John was out of Taurus, that's it was. Joe, it's back to you. Um, it's getting tricky what are you thinking uh, I'm trying to remember who finished second to Reed or to Sergio Justin Rose to Justin Sergio. Rose yep playoff he also finished second in 2015 oh playoffs good thinking so that is Joe John you're next up Alexander Schaffler Xander Schaffle is correct. 2019. Um, the playoff. Won us. Angel Cabrera. Angel Cabrera, 2013. Correct. Back to Joe. Can I ask what year we're waiting on? Or is that against the uh, No, 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 no. No, I can't give you that. There can't be many left, is there? There's That's what I'm trying to three, do. Three, Get down to five, six. There's still seven golfers left. Oh, are there? Yeah. Jeez. They could okay. be from okay. similar okay. years. Okay. Obviously, there could be multiple people in a tie. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, 16 runners up in total. Got seven left. Oh, man, I'm into guessing territory, to be honest. Um, just by law of averages... Uh, I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right. I'm going to say it anyway. Phil Mickelson? Correct. 2015. Oof. That's a total guess. Still alive. John? Yeah. Sung Jae Im. Sung Jae Im is correct. Oh, that's a 2020. Himself and Cameron Smith, both in a tie for second. 
Nathan. Gonna need to up the pace here, maybe, if possible. <laughs> if you can um, find those names. Jason Day. Jason Day is correct, 2011. Joe. Do you have another guess left in you? Um, I was tempted to say Rory, but I think his best is fifth. And so I'm going to say... God, I don't know at all. Go on. Say it. Whatever you're thinking, say it. Oh, I'm feeling like maybe Bubba was in the mix another year. But it's, geez, they blend in at this time of the morning, don't they? Um, this is so tense. <laughs> it's not, I, think, I think I'm already out of this quiz, so it's not that tense. Uh, I, will, I will bear gracefully on, on Bubba's sword then. No, Bubba did not finish yeah. runner-up. So it goes back to John. How many left? Uh, one, two, three, four left. Lee Westwood? Lee Westwood is correct. He did it twice, 2015, oh, 2016 and 2010. Jeez. Um, Nathan? Three left. John said Shoffler, did he? Yeah. Shoffler's yeah. been said, yeah. He did. Um, I'll go by Joe's sort of law of averages. Dustin Johnson? Correct. 2019. Good shout. The air is getting thin in this round. There is two golfers left. Can we go all the way again? So I lose just because it's on me, I lose if I don't get it right. Then that rules in a quiz, John. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not really in this quiz that much. Um, the parcel of doom explodes if you don't get it. Has Jordan Spieth been said? Jordan Spieth has been I said. Guess, yeah, the first one said, yeah. yeah. You're bowing out. Has Brooks Kapka been said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said him. Yeah. The next name you say is going to be your answer. Give us a name. Tiger Woods? No, not Tiger Woods. Nathan, who would you have gone to for? You get the point. Um, I'll put you out of your misery. The most obvious one was Ricky Fowler in 2018. Ah, and okay. Jonas Blixt in 2014 was... The other person who finished... Jonas Blix, come on. Uh, didn't expect you to get that, but a really impressive pass to parcel around. Uh, Joe Conroy says it was like a very tense snooker frame, which is uh, probably the best way of putting it. Nathan, you're on four points. John, you're on three points. Joe, you're on one point as we head into the fun-free magic number round. So contestants get three points for getting the number exactly right. Hope you have your pen and paper ready. If no one manages that, the nearest contestant who doesn't go bust gets two points. The second closest gets one point. I'm going to say that we can only accept the answer that's written on your paper. Oh um, yeah, sorry. I just haven't done this in uh, approximately a year. Uh, this is the one where you fire a lot of questions at us. We write down the answers, add it all up, and give you a number at the end. It is, yeah. And it will, okay, if yeah. you get it bang on, you get three points. So if no okay, one manages okay. that, uh, the nearest contestant who doesn't go bust gets two points. The second closest gets one point. So I can only accept the answer that's written on your paper. Okay. I'm going to have to ask for your pens once the music ends. So if you don't mind, give us the following number: the number of strokes Tiger Woods led by. Going into the final round of the 97 Masters. Plus, the number of the hole where Jordan Spieth hit Ray's Creek twice in the final round of the 2016 Masters. Plus, the position in the leaderboard Rory McIlroy finished after his 2011 meltdown. 
plus the number of times Phil Mickelson has won the Masters. Your 30 seconds expire when Sinatra sings bright shiny beads. So, the number of strokes of a cushion Tiger Woods had going into the final round of the 1997 Masters. The number on the hole where Spieth hit the water twice in the final round of the 2016 Masters. The number on the leaderboard Rory McIlroy finished after his 2011 meltdown. And how many times has Phil won the Masters? Add them all up, what do you get? I hope I've got the correct maths done this time. All the pressure's really on you in this old mortal, more so than us. Joe, we'll go to you first. Uh, I reckon four shots clear, a new 12. I guess. Here, come on, just give the answer. Okay, 40. 40. Nathan? The rudeness of Nathan Murphy. 28. John? 38. It's margins in golf. It's also very much fine margins in the big, crappy quiz of the Masters. Joe Malloy would probably be in the lead had he gone one number lower, but he gets nothing because he overshot the runway by a single number. The answer is 39. Oof. Tiger Woods that led was... the Masters by nine strokes going into the final yeah. round oh in 97. God. Jordan Spieth uh, hit the water twice in 12 in 2016. Yeah. McElroy finished T15 in 2011. Uh-huh. And Phil has won the Masters on three separate occasions. Add those all up. Free kill me. You get to 39. So... John Duggan gets two points for going to 38. Nathan gets one point. So, Nathan, you're on four. Uh, sorry, one, two, three, four, five. John, you're on one, two, three, four, five as well. We tossed a coin before coming on air. If it's Nathan versus John, Nathan's won the toss. So, uh, Joe Malloy screwed me over there because when we were on Golf Weekly this week, Joe, you were talking about 2011 and how you know the meltdown wasn't maybe as much of a meltdown as it seemed on certain parts and I thought actually maybe maybe he ended up finishing about fourth or fifth but it wasn't that oh, horrible yeah. but no no he kept he kept melting no he kept going we stopped on 14 I think was the problem yeah progressively worse okay our winner today will be decided in the round that separates the men from the boys the Joaquin yeah. Neemans from the Joaquin Phoenixes it's a no theme in particular ridiculously easy rapid fire round the score you get in this round will be added to your score from the previous rounds there will be 40 seconds for everyone to answer from the same set of questions we start with Nathan coin toss is like extra time overtime in, in, in NFL that's the way it goes I'm going to start with Nathan then goes on to John and then on to Joe if you get a question correct I'll ask you another question and keep asking you questions until you get one wrong once you get a question wrong I move on to the next person and your incorrect answer also means the deduction of one point Nathan Murphy are you ready? Always Your 40 seconds starts now Who is the newest addition to the three man honorary tee shot in the Thursday at Augusta? Tom Watson Correct Sergio Garcia but who in a playoff to win the tournament in 2017? Justin Rose. Correct. What number hole is the first one in Amen Corner? 11. Correct. In what year did VJ win the Masters? Uh, 2004. No, 2000. On what day of the week does the champion dinner take place, John? Tuesday. Correct. Who finished higher at the Masters last year, Spieth or Ram? Spieth. Correct. Name the last South African to win the Masters. Charles Schwartz. Correct. Who holds the record for the lowest ever winning score at Augusta? Well, Jordan Spieth and Tiger Woods. No, Dustin Johnson. Did the first uh, Masters take place in 1930 or 1934, oh, oh, oh. John? Or Joe? 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 Uh, it's just for pure semantics. Did the oh, first Masters take place? 1934. 1934 is uh, correct. So 
we have a tie at the end of all this. The tie break questions are all non-masters questions. Uh, so I'm going to... I, I know what I'm going to ask you. I know, I know what I'm going to ask you, but I'm just going to... Um, he went to bed before he could be bothered writing a tie break question. It's true. It's true. Okay, Nathan, you, you're going first in this one, okay? How many... No, that's actually too easy. How many career wins does Jack Nicholas have? Nathan to go first. Sixty-seven. Sixty-seven. John. So a higher or lower thing is it to well, whatever, whatever's closest? Yeah, higher or lower if you want. Yeah, I'm going to go for seventy. John Duggan is the winner. Seventy-three PGA Tour victories. Can't be stopped, John Duggan. Don John Duggan, two in a row. How does it feel? Well, I took this very seriously, lads, as I'm sure you would have seen me writing my essay for the Leaving Search. So, um, look, uh, commiserations, congratulations. I don't know what to say. I'm probably going to have a, a Masters dinner for you all to celebrate, and I'll pay. That is the tensest 25 minutes I've ever experienced oh, in my life. Sickened. Thank you all for playing. Uh, I now need uh, a pint or some Adrian Barry wine to calm me down. Take a quick break. Well done, John. Talk Thanks, Liverpool. Guys. Well done, John. Brilliant. Thanks. Chris Bond. Oh, you're kidding me. September. Kyle Lafferty. Are you no! joking me? Is that right? I know. Is that right? Uh, anybody else? Like, that is one of the most stupid questions. Darius Vassell? Seriously, you all need to just stay quiet. This is getting really annoying doing this quiz. What is going on here? <laughs> 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 All right, a quarter past nine, and sense has been restored to OTBM after a very tense uh, half an hour of broadcasting there. Well done, Owen. You managed to get through it, including a fairly rapidly pulled together tiebreaker at the end, and fair play to Don John. Right, quarter past nine, it is time to talk football. It's time to look ahead uh, to the big game this weekend. Delighted to say, of the Anfield Wrap. Joining us on the line is Harriet Pryor. Morning to you, Harriet. Morning, thanks for having me on. Not at all. Delighted to be able to look ahead to the game. Um, because it's so tight in the race at the top obviously everybody's talking about this as the game that decides the season it's like an easy throwaway line but also might be right yeah, it, it definitely is right. I think if you if you look at the season that's that's been and and also the, the past few seasons, Man- Manchester City and Liverpool have gone head to head and toe to toe throughout. And with the exception of us obviously falling a bit short last season, it, it's been a really good competition, a really good rivalry that's been forming over the past few years. And now we get to a point where we're playing them in April with one point separating us. And although Klopp's reluctant to say it could decide the the league and the Premier League title in the long run, I think we all know that whoever wins on Sunday has the clear advantage moving forward how do the emotions differ from i guess this time 2019 but rewind it back to january yeah i think um i think obviously i think if you're looking back at the last few seasons last season obviously didn't go as planned the season before that we we were were miles ahead and obviously we never got to celebrate that that trophy in the way we wanted to and that league title in the way we wanted to i think that this the feeling at the moment is is one of intense anticipation excitement nervousness and a bit of pressure if I'm honest I think if you're looking at the game at the weekend there's a there's a feeling that if we do pick up nothing at the Etihad which is obviously the worst case scenario that we will fall a little bit behind and it will be a little bit of a setback when we've worked so hard to claw back a 14 point gap between the two teams so it's you know a, a nervous feeling now not as good as when we were 20 points clear much better than last season when we were when we were having a nightmare January. After all the uncertainty about uh, Mo Salah, Harriet, is there, was there a giddy excitement at the news coming out of Egypt during the week? 
Yeah, I think that this talk has been going on for so long now with Mo Salah and talks about his contract and there seems to be little tidbits that have been out in the media then and again and this just feels like a bit of another one. I, I have every faith that it's going to get done. I don't know exactly when that will happen. I think Klopp's been asked the question multiple times in recent weeks, months about his contract and, and the answer's always been the same. The conversations are happening between the right parties, between the right people and I have every faith that in the end it will get done. Obviously, we know that Salah's contract negotiations from his side are a little bit more difficult. They, his demands are higher and as they should be because he is such a talented player. He's, he, he's, he's the best, one of the best players in the world right now. And I will always continue to say that. So he deserves, he deserves a lot. Are the club willing to offer him everything that he wants? We're not so sure. It does feel like they're coming to the end of the negotiations now. They are starting to agree terms and hopefully we get that, that contract sorted out very soon. Is there any indications to, like, have they met closer to Liverpool's side? Have they moved a bit towards Salah or is it too early to tell yet? I think it's a bit too early to tell. I, I think there's going to be have to be a bit of negotiation and wiggle room and flexibility, really, from both sides because FSG are quite quite set in their ways in how they, they operate in terms of transfers, in terms of contract negotiations. They don't like to, to, you know, the term is used a lot, break the wage structure. And they don't like to do that for any player. And that, that unfortunately includes Mo Salah. However, I think now there's a little bit of acceptance that in order to keep him and recognise that he has got a few years left at his peak, they're going to have to going to have to negotiate on that a little bit and be a bit more flexible and hope that the rest of the team accept because I think that's the the anticipation now is that okay you offer Mo Salah a new contract and he's getting loads more money than the other players well then what do players like Virgil van Dijk start to say and Alisson start to say and other other stars that we have in our team so I think that's why they've been a bit careful so far around just giving him everything he wants. And strangely, it um, that news comes at a time where, like, obviously heading into a game, the magnitude of this game on Sunday, he's not where you would want him to be in terms of form and confidence. He's one goal in nine games for club and country. Um, it's a game that's coming at a bad time for a brilliant player. Yeah, you could say that. Or you could flip that and say that this is the perfect game for Mo Salah to get back on track. And he always performs really, really well in big games. And that's the reality of it. People are having a conversation around whether or not he starts on Sunday. For me, you do not leave Mo Salah on the bench against Manchester City, regardless of whether he's in the top of his form or, or a, a bit below that. I, th- I think, obviously, the, the goals haven't been there. A couple of performances haven't been quite there. We, we're aware of that after AFCON and after the recent World Cup qualifications, it's it's clear that his head has been a little bit, not in the wrong place, but a little bit, you know, distracted by all the contract talks as well. I don't doubt that Mo Salah is, is an absolute professional and will now be concentrating on a huge month ahead for, for Liverpool and a huge season ahead, knowing that the end goal could be another three trophies when they've already won one. So is it himself and um, Jota and Mane that get the nod? Oh, it's a really difficult one because before the Benfica game, I wouldn't have said Diaz had a, had a contention for a starting place. And now after his performance and how well he played, I think he might be one to come in. That middle position is the most interesting one for me, whether you play Jota because he's been scoring so much, whether you play Firmino because he's had so much experience playing in these big games, or whether you put Mane there because he's in the last six, seven weeks had to play that role and done it really well for me I, I'd be starting Diaz on the left and and actually I'd I think I'd put Mane through the middle and, and Salah on the right that's my my starting three for the weekend yeah I know Michael Owen was saying that the fact that he got that Diaz got 90 minutes might be an indicator that Klopp is kind of looking to rest him 
Yeah, exactly. He did get the whole the whole game against Benfica, and I think that was an obvious one for him to play because he knows the league and he's played in that league before and knew the opposition. And obviously, following on from the game on Sunday, we've got another Champions League game on the Wednesday night at Anfield, so we'll have to have fresh players for that. You could see him being a bit of a cult hero. Like, I mean, I think it came to the fore a little bit during the week as a former Porto player. He was getting the jeers from the crowds. He really warmed to that, like, and really responded to it, seemed to feed off it almost to some degree. Um, he could see him being a big player for Liverpool on the basis of that type of performance uh, for years to come. Oh, absolutely. He's been so impressive since he joined. I don't think anyone expected him to settle in quite this quickly. The only player we've really seen this with in the last few seasons is Jota. However, he played in the Premier League before. He was at Wolves and had that Premier League experience. Diaz has come in from a different league, from a different country, not speaking the language and, and so many different factors that feed into it and just looks instantly like a clock player. And that's really not an easy thing to do. And he's so exciting. He looks like he's really gels, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch. He's contributing goals already. He's contributing such attacking flair. He's a, he's a really exciting talent and, and definitely one that will be such an integral part of the team for years to come. The, the, the really interesting thing about Liverpool over the last little while is just the, the slow build-up of depth. And that's not just to do with the, the signings of of Diaz and players like Diaz. It's also to do with the coming to form, particularly in midfield of the likes of Thiago and Keita, who really look, at times over the last little while, undroppable. So what sort of constellation are you looking at for midfield this week, considering they're probably going to start their best midfielders? Yeah, definitely. You, you talked about the forwards there. That's in the past few weeks been the biggest selection headache, if you want to call it that, for Klopp. However, moving into midfield, it's also it's also really difficult. So on Tuesday night, we saw for the first time that the lineup starting with Thiago, Naby, and and Fabinho, Naby Keita and Fabinho. That was the first time I've ever seen that. Mm. It was a slightly more risky midfield option. I thought it worked so well. I don't think Kaita comes in for the weekend for a start. I think he sticks with Henderson, Fabinho and Thiago. They're his sort of trusted trio. They're the three that we really know can perform together on the day. And Sunday has to be one of those days. What sort of setup do you think it's going to be? Like, it's obviously not going to be like Manchester City against Atletico on, on Tuesday night where, where, where Liverpool are, have bodies behind the ball. But do you expect him to sit a little, a little bit deeper and try and catch them on the break? Or has Pep sort of got burnt a little bit by Liverpool down through the years that, that he knows that he can't possibly allow that to happen himself? Yeah, I think if you, if you look at Klopp and, and the way that he plays a certain opposition, he won't drastically change his style for any team. And I think that's what's really, really good about him. And that's why we have such a strong identity. Liverpool aren't generally a team that like to sit back deep. We like to push high up the pitch. We like to put our defenders high. We like to use the fullbacks as our attacking our attacking threat. I think we continue to do that. Obviously, on top of that, we're really dangerous on the counter, and and we know that Guardiola won't like that when you have players like Mane and like Salah who are really quick on the counter attack. But I don't think he drastically sits back. I don't. I just don't see Klopp setting up a team in that way because I, for me, both teams score. For me, both teams get a goal. And it's whoever gets the second one. So we'll need to be on in our best attacking form. History says, obviously, that quadruple is hugely unlikely. And I'm sure that internally that's not a conversation they're having. Klopp himself says, oh, game by game or whatever. Is there much chat about it around Liverpool? I'd say there's quite a lot, probably, maybe a little bit, a little bit too much at this stage of the season. But why not? Because it's really exciting that at this stage in April, we are still in contention for all four. And obviously, we've already won the League Cup and now we've got 
three competitions and if you can't get excited about that as a fan then there's really no point is there and we all know yes it's probably very unrealistic that we go on to win all four because it's it's pretty much impossible task it's so hard unless you have this huge 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 squad and 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 it's you know like we said almost impossible for any team to do so I think we have an awareness that perhaps not however the fact that we are still in the running for it all is what's exciting us the most and if we can come away with with one more trophy this season I think if if we came away with either Premier League, the Champions League or the Champions League, having already won the League Cup, we'd be very happy fans indeed. How annoyed are Liverpool fans about a Manchester officiating team? <laughs> Obviously, it's not ideal. I think that it's clear to say it's not an ideal solution. The the, the officiators have no say in this. So I don't think they'd have chosen that they wanted to do this game to be perfectly honest because why would they why would they want the heat that will inevitably come from it if they make a bad decision or a decision that looks slightly in, in the favour of, of Manchester City it's not ideal, we can only hope that it doesn't play a big role and that, that the game goes ahead without a, a bias to be honest, which I, hopefully it will uh, we couldn't let you away without asking about Liverpool. Um, obviously, promotion confirmed, winning Division One, record attendance last weekend, and there's so much Irish interest there as well and excitement about obviously what's to what's to come next weekend. What's your sense of how they're currently equipped to deal with that promotion? Yeah, they've had such a great season. I, I went to some of their games early on and, and Matt Beard had obviously not been there that long at that point. I think they lost their first game of the season that I went to. And since then, they've gone undefeated and they've grown and grown and grown and they've done so well, the, the women's team. I think they might bring a few few new players in in the summer. We might see a few new faces to equip them really well for that promotion. It's, obviously, they've not not had much experience against against teams in the WSL this season. They played Arsenal in the in the FA Cup didn't do as well but obviously Arsenal we know are a very top team that I, I just have every faith that they're, they're ready for this and they, they are back where they belong now and like you said there's so much talent in that team so much Irish talent yes and so much talent in general and, and so many exciting players and we, we've had a few Liverpool women's players in the studio in the last few weeks and they all just said they're really enjoying their football and that was the first thing that Matt Beard wanted to instill in the team is that they come in they don't worry as much and they just enjoy their football and that's really translated into the performances on the pitch so I'm, I'm really delighted for them it's everything they deserve I'm really happy for them and I'm really excited to watch them in the WSL. There will definitely be an expectation, um, and I'm not sure will that actually translate the pressure about Liverpool being in the top tier now. Is this team ready right now to, to be a comfortable WSL team, or, or do you think that with every team that goes up, they'll be kind of looking over their shoulders for the first few months? I would say it really does depend on the summer that they have and the players they bring in. If you look at the players they already have in their squad, there's there's plenty of talent in there to, to suggest that they will be fine in that top league and that they can handle it, they can handle the opponents. Do they have the best first season back there? Who knows? I think that's hard to tell. Obviously, they're not familiar with a lot of the opposition. They haven't played them in a couple of years. They've had a couple of seasons now in that in that championship but I do believe with Matt Beard and with the new manager and with everything that's the momentum on their side and the team that they're building there now, it, it, it does look like they will have a good run. And, and Klopp was saying as well in the press conference when he spoke about them, there's a, there's a real focus now on that women's team and a real belief that they can do well, a real investment in them. There's so much excitement around women's football in general with the Euros coming up and everything around it that I, I just have every, every faith that they'll be OK and they can handle it. Enjoy the football at the weekend. Thanks, Millian. Thank you so much. Harriet Pryor there of the Anfield Wrap. Uh, Lots of comments coming into us. Plenty on the quiz as well, by the way. Uh, What a quiz, says Andrew. Some knowledge on the Masters on show here, says Aidan. 
And it really was a showing. Rory will shoot a 65 on Sunday and once again finish in the top 10 without really being uh, ever in contention, says Fergus Kyo. Uh, we that would see. do us fine if we have uh, a few quid in them. Uh, right, to Ireland superstar Denise O'Sullivan has been chatting to Owen ahead of Ireland's uh, tricky away trip to Gothenburg uh, to take on Sweden on Tuesday. It's a game that you'll be able to hear live on Off the Ball and uh, Nathan will be on co-commentary there alongside Dora Gorman and Ashling O'Reilly and Julianne Russell will both be in Sweden to bring you all the colour of the game uh, well in advance as well across the Monday and Tuesday. But here's Owen chatting to Denise O'Sullivan. Denise, you were just saying you've uh, cracked jet lag at long last, or not at long last, you've always had it down. Yeah, I do. I think I'm used to the jet lag side of things now, coming in from America. I think I just love sleep in general, so the minute I get here, I just sleep. As I said, I napped for two hours, and then I slept the whole way through the night, so I think I have it down to a T now, what I, uh, what I need to do when I get in here. Uh, I was just chatting to Lucy Quinn there, and uh, if you want to keep your ego small, don't listen to the piece. Uh, she was just saying that you uh, take the mick out of everybody in training with, with what you do. Is that something that you go out deliberately to do when you're in Ireland training, saying, I'm going to express myself here, make everyone around me look a little bit silly? <laughs> no, no. De- <laughs> Thanks for that, Lucy, but throw me under the bus. No, I definitely don't. I think uh, I just enjoy training here and just having fun with the team. It's an absolutely great squad and I go out to work hard in training and training and that's all I think about. Um, really, I think that's the most important thing is the preparation and just going out there focusing and um, trying to do the things right. I definitely try, don't try and take the make out of players. But um, yeah, training's always good and a great, a great group of girls. We were actually just having more of a wider conversation around instinct versus preparation and being able to survey what's in front of you. What sort of player are you? Are you an instinctive one or somebody who likes the moment to think about what they're about to do? Instinctive, definitely. Just happen naturally. Like, don't even think about it, really. Same when I'm training. I don't even... I actually don't even think about what I do. It just happens naturally, and I'm definitely that, that kind of player. <laughs> Have you tried to, to add an element of thinking about it to it, or are you just like, no, listen, this is, this is the way I am, and there's no way I want to add another layer of complication to it? Yeah, I don't like to make things complicated, so I think I'm just that kind of player, and I, I, won't, I, I won't try and change it, but yeah, definitely. Everybody must be listening to that saying, geez, that, she has it very easy. <laughs> have it easy? Definitely not. I definitely don't have it easy. But um, yeah, I definitely don't like to try and complicate things at all um, as a player. And when I go out to the pitch, I just, um, as I said, I give 100% all the time. But when things happen, it just I don't really think about it. I just It just happens for me. That's yeah. just the kind of player I am. So, yeah. And how does that tally with uh, a manager or a coach who wants to play uh, quite a systemic approach to football? Well, yeah, obviously, I think that's a total different thing. Um, obviously, respecting what the coach wants. I think I do. I do listen to that and take that on board. Um, but when I'm on the pitch, I think things, I do take what the coach wants. And obviously, I, I go by that system and I don't try and go and do my own thing, you know. Um, but what happens on the pitch sometimes, I, it just doesn't, I don't think about it. It just happens naturally for me as a midfielder. Um, but I think it's, it's a good thing because it works for me and, and that's what works for me. So, uh, As we say, you're just over the jet lag uh, and you've been in the States for the last little while. The season proper is, is yet to start, but you've had the Challenge Cup over the last little while. Uh, how have things changed on, in terms of your team this year? Because obviously there's been an expansion with, uh, with the league over there. Yeah, I think the team has changed. I think there's been a lot of changes um, overall in the club but within the team I think it's changed a lot also we've lost a good few players um, really good players we've lost but we've also brought in very talented players so I would say we're we're probably a much younger team now I think we're transitioning um, the team is and we do have a handful of experienced teams so uh, experienced players so I think it's a very good balance within the team and 
uh, yeah, we're just into the Challenge Cup right now. We're four games in. We just had three games in the past week there. So, um, but um, we're on top of the group, so it's going really well. I'm I'm excited for the team. We we look really good right now. But it's only the start of the, the season. We've a long long way to go yet. And is that very much seen as, as a pre-season competition or as a Challenge Cup something that you'd really be going after? Um, no, it's not something we'd really be going after. It's it's more of a pre-season and I think it's it's for the coach to see these new players, give them game time and for us as well to work on what we need to as a team uh, to be able to grow into the season. So I think the most important thing is the beginning of the season. But these are good games to get under our belt for the coach to see, for us to feel things out with new players coming in as well and also help these new players um, transition into the team and the way we play. I think it's a very uh, it's a tough system to play, the box, the midfield box. Um, so I think new players coming in really have to focus and I think it's our jobs as um, leaders on the team to you know to make them feel comfortable and get them used to the, the formation that we play. Whereabouts in the box do you play? I play in the deeper role actually, uh, the number six. So we have uh, two sixes and two tens. And I do play the, the deeper role there with the team. Right. Yeah. Which is a bit different to the Ireland role, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I come in here and I play the attacking role. So two completely different things, but also two completely different teams. And what works well for me there is playing in the def- defensive role for, for the Courage. Um, I think we really build through that, that defensive midfielder. And I'm the player that really gets on the ball and um, starts to build up as well as the centre-back, so I think it really works well for me there. Um, I'm the centre of everything, getting on the ball a lot, um, and then the defensive role is just as important, and I think um, having really experienced players behind me and world-class players it really helps me do my defensive role well. How is the defensive work going for you at the moment? Is it something that you've had to work on a little bit more than the attacking part of the game? Definitely, yeah. I think you just need to look at it a different way. You're deeper in the field. Uh, you can see everything in front of you, so I think it's about communication is very important as well as about telling where your tens where they need to go and also telling everyone else around you what to do Um, but also being in the right spaces at the right time and I think that's something I've really uh, gotten better at is uh, interceptions in the games I think that's huge Um, but yeah obviously as I said having these defenders behind me telling me what to do our captain um, directing me throughout the whole game is really important and really helps me the reason why there's been so much change in the squad, I presume, is because of the expansion draft, right? Um, yes, there was an expansion draft, and then also players just have wanted different challenges, I guess. I don't really know the reasons, but we've had a lot of players just leave um, for their own personal reasons, and uh, yeah, that's where the big changes came from. So, But I see huge potential in the team. We've signed a good few players now as well, and um, looking at these past four games, we've really been dominating games, whether it's we have, we've been undefeated so far. We've got wins and we've, we've drew games as well. But in the games we drew, especially the one the other night, I think we dominated for most of the game. It was just a, a last-minute winner for them or 89th, whatever, you know. Yeah. Like Given the amount of turnover, then, you'd be one of the senior players in the squad, obviously. Uh, the leadership role just grows year after year. How comfortable are you in that, in that leadership role? Yeah, I'm comfortable. I'm never, I'm never settled. I always think I can get better at it, and I always think I can communicate better to to players um, in front of me. But I do think I have gotten a lot better over the years, and I think that's with the help of experienced players around me. And um, when I first went into the courage, I don't think I said a word. Uh, to now, I, I'm one of the leadership players, and I'm very vocal, and I need to be that way. And I. Uh, I also try and encourage players around me, to, especially the younger ones coming in. I think it's it's really important to have that balance of holding them accountable, but also welcoming them and and trying you know make them feel welcome coming into the team. So 
definitely gotten better, but there's a long way to go. Yeah, I definitely think I can in, improve in it. I think you're playing Angel City first in the league, right? The, the one of the new teams, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. We're, we're, I think it's Angel City. There's, there's San Diego and Angel, but I think we're playing Angel City at yeah, the end of the end of April, maybe. So honestly, I don't know what to expect from that team. Obviously, they're brand new, so don't really know. But I know they have really good players. They have experienced players. Um, there was a lot of investment went into that team. Um, and it's great to see two new teams come into the league so we'll be very excited to, to play a new team for the first game Yeah, I'm just going to ask does, does bigger mean better for the league over there is this a sign that the league is, is kind of growing to the same extent that football is growing here and especially with the WSL yeah I think so I think having two new teams is huge it shows the growth of, of the league and I think those two teams as well have, as I said, a lot of investment and a lot of women investing in the teams. So I think that's really, really important. Um, but yeah, even the publicity we get in that league now is after growing a lot more over the past few years. And when you go to games, you go up to Portland and you're playing in front of 20,000 uh, in a stadium. So um, it's really exciting there. And I think it's, there's a long way to go yet and it's going to keep growing, hopefully. Uh, did you keep an eye on what happened at the camp now last week and the, the, the ridiculous crowd there and some unbelievable goals scored? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, love watching Barcelona, by the way. They're an unbelievable team. But just to see that um, 90-plus thousand turnout at that stadium is absolutely huge for women's football all around the world. And hopefully seeing that now, that's just the start. And that'll, that'll hopefully keep building and happening all around the world. Um, but it was really exciting to see and some amazing goals, just a great a great game and event in general. It seems it's realistic for you now to expect that you'll get to play at the Aviva as a Republic of Ireland international someday, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's something we do want as a team someday. But I do think it has to be the right time. It has to be the right game to play there. I think playing in Tala Stadium is so important for us. I think we love it as a team. We have our fans there. We know that are going to come out and um, playing there. You you can just feel the energy in the stadium when we're playing in these games. So it is a really good atmosphere. Um, but definitely, I would love to play in the Aviva someday. But as I said, it has to be the right game, the right time. And we need to get a crowd out there to be able to play there. The feeling amongst the camp of the people I've spoken to today is that this is a really good opportunity next week because the gap, as everybody can see, between Ireland and the top teams has closed. How excited are you, first of all, for, for, for Sweden next week? Oh, I'm very excited. I think playing against teams like Sweden, number two in the world, it's, it's something I want to do as a player. They're the games that you want to be playing in, uh, the challenges that you want to take on. So I think uh, the team in general is very excited. We know what we're going up against they ain't number two in the world for nothing. So it's going to be a very challenging game, but it's it's a real good opportunity for us to go and show what we can do. I think we're confident as a team this past year and um, we'll be confident going in there and hopefully try to get something out of it. Obviously, that's the aim, but again, we do know what we're facing and they're unbelievable. Denise, very best of luck next week. Good to chat to you. Thank you. Big few days for Vera Pau's team. It is uh, 20 to 9. And uh, by the way, a reminder, you can check out that uh, full game. It'll be live and off the ball. Nathan will be on co-commentary duty alongside Dora Gorman and Ashling And Julianne Russell will be in Sweden bringing you all the colour ahead of the game on the Monday and into the Tuesday as well. And more details on that over the coming days too. So do stay tuned uh, for all of that. A reminder that OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And uh, coming up on off the ball over the weekend. Uh, tomorrow, a specially extended show, uh, 1 o'clock to 8, would you believe, Master? latest obviously all through the day Grand National feature uh, interview with Richard Dunwoody there uh, Football Saturday Johnny Ward Shane Keegan and David Myler make up 
the uh, panel for JD tomorrow. Exeter against Munster will be live as well in the Heineken Champions Cup uh, tomorrow. So it's an especially extended show. And then on Sunday, also extended 1-7, to pay-per-view as usual. Master Sunday with Gary Murphy and then live Premier League commentary of that game of uh, the weekend. Manchester City against Liverpool. And it'll be Stephen Doyle alongside Brian Kerr. So plenty to look forward to all. Yeah, it's going to be a good weekend. Of course, starting tonight, Cheeseboard Central, Leinster. I kind Connacht. of feel that once the quiz was done, you you sort of checked out. I mean, you were half interested in the city of Liverpool chat, but you were like pretty much that's. that's I've just been interviewing Denise O'Sullivan. What do you mean? I just checked. Oh, sorry. Out. Yeah, yeah. It's my week. Uh, my week's work done. Come on, it was a good week. Thanks. That's uh, probably one of the greatest crappy quizzes you've ever put together. I think it's the crappy quiz is only as good as the contestants, as you as you know well. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.